This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. Happy Monday. You made it through the weekend. Now you get to start it all up again. Isn't that great? Hang on, it's good. Life's good. Life's good. And then many are going to be taking off time for the holidays, so some of you only have to get through a few days this week. How many days do we go through today, this week? Four. Oh, boy, really? It's too many. I guess I should have thought this through. Dang it. Why don't we ever... we, We need to take more time off for Christmas. I feel like we're not celebrating the holidays effectively. What do you mean? I don't know. Just because our just because our student producers leave, yeah, they're all gone. Doesn't mean we, you know, we shouldn't leave. Okay. Don won't allow it. He won't even allow us to heat some coal in here to burn some coal. I know. Do you remember when we started lighting those little coal fires? They get so mad. Coal is money. Uh, yeah, it is. We are also right now, just in case you're wondering, working on Wi-Fi. Mm. We need Wi-Fi somehow. I don't know how to look up if Zsa Zsa Gabor or Eva Gabor was on. Your phone works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, does it, though? Oh, yeah. Usually in the inner sanctum here, it doesn't work. Really? Because, yeah, I have one bar. Yeah, me too. Um, we've got a lot to talk about today. Green Acres was Ava Gabor. Ava Gabor. How'd you find that out? Because he doesn't have Wi-Fi. He oh, he's got an Ethernet. Yeah. yeah. Lucky. Yeah, well, hey, yeah. um... Uh, Donald Trump, today's the day. He could get all of his electoral votes. We won't really know, though. Yeah, they, they have to mail him in. But don't they, don't they do an accounting? Yeah, but it's not immediate. Of course it's not. Yeah. Nothing's ever immediate anymore. No. Nothing's like it used to be back when we had the telegraph. have to wait for telegraph. everyone to submit their ballots and ride them by or deliver them by horseback to Washington, <laughs> D.C. So there's yeah. there's specific dates set in this process, mm-hmm. which are dumb. But. but there's many that are trying to just overthrow the Electoral College. All they need is, all they need is 37 just electors. Just 37 to give up. To flip their vote. There are a couple that want the, the right. There's a, a guy in California who doesn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. Mm. But he doesn't want to vote for Donald Trump. Oh. Who's he going to vote for? Jill Stein? I don't know. But, I mean, that would mean they'd need 38 electors to flip for oh, Trump wow. to be stopped. Well, fun. We'll get to that. That's <laughs> nonsense. A lot, of, a lot of movie stars, a lot of big celebrities are trying to flip the vote. Martin Sheen, I think. Yeah. Well, he was the president. Yeah. More bad news. What? Ava Gabor died. Today? Well, no, like back in 1995, but oh, she died. Yeah, you need to let that go. <laughs> I didn't know you were such a Gabor fan. Yeah. Well, she was the one on The Rescuers huh. and Green Acres. Huh. Good old Ava. Jaja lived to 99 years of age. Allegedly. Well, yeah. Because no one really knows what her birthday was. She refused to tell anybody. Well, yeah. Well, a lady doesn't talk about her age. Yeah. I thought it was because we didn't have Wi-Fi. Well, there was that too. Okay. Jaja, darling. That oh, those were the days. Life was so simple. How so? 
Just Jaja would come on, say darling. I think she got married like seven times or something. Nine. Nine times for nine brothers. She'd, she'd brag about it. She was on a play, Nine Brides for Nine Brothers. Or, yeah, something like that. It was a musical. We'll get to all that fun. Plus, uh, Joe Cannon will be joining us, our Washington insider. He uh, He's going to walk us through a little bit about the Electoral College. I think he's been on the ele- – I think he's been one of the electoral voters for the – for Utah before, I believe. I believe you brought that up. Going to guess he voted Republican. Well, I'm going to bet. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that fun. Plus uh, so many other just little bits of information, some of which we actually need to know. I'm sure we'll even get to some empty news from the Matt Townsend Show News. But first to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on that we need to worry about? Thanks, Matt. The 538 members of the Electoral College will convene in their respective states today to vote for the United States' next president, a process that is usually little more than a uh, legal formality following the popular vote tally on Election Day. This year, however, last-ditch efforts ongoing to convince at least 37 Republicans to become faithless electors. Ooh. Faithless electors, remember that term, who vote for someone other than President-elect Donald Trump, who lost the popular contest to to Hillary Clinton but by nearly 3 million votes. Attempts to oust Trump in this manner are not expected to, to succeed. The Electoral College vote will not be counted until jo- January 6th in a joint congressional session, at which point members of Congress may choose to challenge individual electors or statewide results. Mm. Which, again, won't happen. President-elect Donald Trump said Saturday night that China could keep the naval drone that it stole from the U.S. last week in the South China Sea. We could tell China that we don't want the drone they stole back. Let them keep it, Trump tweeted. The Pentagon said that it had secured an understanding from China that the drone would be returned earlier Saturday. Trump called it an un—they have an unprecedented act. He called it an unprecedented act on his— tweet that he kicked out and that caused a twitter storm uh on the part of china a nation whom trump has angered with his recent suggestion that he would not hold firm to the one china policy so they stole a drone that's autocorrect i heard i heard he waved his hand and said this isn't the drone you're looking for could be really could be Henry Heimlich, the doctor who uh, whose choking response technique saved the lives of an estimated 50,000 people died saturday after suffering a massive heart attack. Okay. He didn't choke to death. He was 96 years old, by the way. He was, uh, I think, at one point someone saved him with his own he, technique. He saved someone in the, in the senior living center. That's what it was. They were choking. Like when he was nine. however, it yeah, was yeah, only yeah. like six months ago. Yeah, he's 96. That's cool. It was. Um, and Rogue, Rogue One, a Star Wars yeah. story. Oh, is that still theaters. out there? Yeah, it is. It, it, 155 million in North America, 290 million worldwide. Yeah, it made a lot of money. Um, the company's already working on a film about the early years of Han Solo, which will be on 2018. Oh, wow. That's the next non-Star Wars, or non-Skywalker soap opera. So Star this Wars. will be young Hans. Yes. Terry saw it. Not the Han Solo movie, but the Rogue One. Yeah, is, did, hold on. Is this is this the theme from Rogue One? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. Sorry. This is Star's Battles by Don Williams. Oh, uh-huh. Gotcha. If only we could have played Rogue One. We actually could play it, but we'd rather play Star's Battle. Killer tracks. Yeah, it's great. Hey, what's uh, what do you think? Did you like it? I are did. You, are you going to go see it again? There wasn't much chance I wouldn't. Rogue. Rogue. No matter what, you know, 
parent previews decided to say, even though they had a positive review. They were very positive. Most of the movies I like, Rod Rod doesn't have a positive opinion of most. Well, Rod has good taste. Well, there was a movie with a massive battle at an airport, and he said that was like the longest torturous thing he's ever watched. I'm like, that's the best part of the movie. Come on. But yeah, what, do you, a, what do you like about the movie? Good. It was just a... The idea that you don't have any of these Skywalker people and you start a whole new set of people, you've never met these people, yeah. you just charge right in and go after the plans for the Death Star. Well, there's one Skywalker in it, Well, right? he has to be there. He's more machine now. Hmm. This is exciting. Yeah. Because you're saying stuff without saying stuff. Yeah, well, I'm trying not to. The movie's still out there. It is kind of rough because the heroes don't win in the traditional heroic way. Rebellion. They cheat. Do they cheat? Rebellion takes sacrifice is really the lesson you need to learn. My brother told me wow. that uh, Darth Vader dies in this movie. Mm, no. Well, Obi-Wan would beg to differ. He would say... From a certain point of view, he could be dead. Hmm. Wow. You guys are, that's like. Which allowed Obi Wan to lie to Luke. Yeah. You're going all nerdy on me. (laughs) So it's fun. There's explosions and spaceships and creatures and. Is it more fun? There's a blind, like, kung fu master, which is kind of fun. Really? Yeah. Little known fact kung fu? It was big back then. It was big back then in a galaxy. Far, far away. Long, long ago. That's I, I did not know Kung Fu was still going to be such a big deal in the future. They probably called it something else. Well, it's not the future. It was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, but it was. But aren't we still talking like twentieth second century? I thought Star not Wars. Star Wars wasn't from the seventies. It said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I know, but that, I, th- I think that was from like twenty six hundred. Okay. Were, no, I then looking backwards. I, I think we just have not uh, things have not evolved well. We've gone backwards. Man, this is bad news. Yeah. So, quality movie. Take okay. the family. Take the kids. Stuff blows up. Okay, I'm doing it. Mike, we just decided last night we're taking our children. There's some like saving private Ryan moments. Wow. Yeah, you can see that in the trailer though. Tom Hanks is in it too? No, it's just that oh. kind of a an idea where you have a a whole group and there's and there a there's a single cause they're mm, going for, and great. there's lots of sacrifice and Death Star. Just yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. And then the girl tells Matt Damon, "Earn this." Yeah. Wow, Matt Damon's in it. No, he's not. Oh, I think I'm. That's yeah, a think, different movie. Yeah, I think you're messing up. Yeah, that was I think Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. You ever see The Dirty Dozen? Uh, what are we talking about? The movie. The movie The Dirty Dozen. No. Sounds No, dirty. I did. I did. I used to, yeah. yeah my mom, they, was my mom's They pull show. all those people out of prison yeah. and say, here's this Create impossible team, task. Get in there. Go for it. Bust it up. Kind of has some elements of that, too. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Is there like is there like a really horrible man, evil man that's in charge of creating a team out of this team? Uh, no. Okay. There's a hard-nosed guy. But there's also a member on their team that turns on them. Is he talking about the same movie we're talking about? Yes. Elements. Yes. Just saying there's pieces. Telly Savalas. Excuse me. Yeah. 
Great. You just spoiled a 40-year-old movie. 50 Hold on. I just, said a, movie? I just said a random name. He's in the I movie. Didn't... They're going to see it and go, oh, he's, he's I thought great. Telly Savalas had passed away. He did. He was Kojak. So he's not in Rogue One. Rogue now Star Wars story. Nobody ever said he was. Now we're just confusing people. We're talking about 90 movies here. Let's talk about Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Yeah, this was odd that uh, CNN decided to sit down and talk with her yesterday, and they started talking about her fun little meetup with her good friend Bill Clinton on the tarmac in Phoenix. I wish I had seen around that corner and and not had that discussion with the former president as innocuous as it was, because it did give people concern. It did make people wonder, is it going to affect the investigation that's going on? Um, And that's not something that was an unreasonable question for anyone to ask. And my view is, and always has been, that when you are in public life or even in private life and you make a mistake, you own it. That's a great point. There you go. Which is kind of what she said afterwards. So she's saying if she could look around the corner. Yeah, which I, is a fun little. It was a metaphor. I don't yeah. think, I didn't know they were parked on the corner because then if she had seen around the corner was maybe, the maybe, Clinton Maybe plane. she was thinking she was in the plane and if she could see around the corner out the door down ah, the stairs, she would have seen point. Bill Clinton shuffling across the tarmac. But what would you do? What do you do when, <laughs> when Bill Clinton's shuffling towards your plane? No, sir. You may not enter my plane. Guard? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you tell the, do you tell him just to go away? Yeah, that's interesting. By the way, President Clinton is an uh, is an electoral he's an electoral ballot. Host. He's a member of the electoral college. Huh. He will be passing an electoral vote for his wife. Who knows? Maybe not. Maybe for Mr. Trump. Well, he's in New York. I know, but well, it's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> then unless he unless he's one of these faithless, what do they call him? Faithless electors. Mm-hmm. What if he's a faithless elect? Well. Many would say he's a faithless elector. Depends on your yeah definition of that. Can you imagine if your wife is like, did you vote for me? Yeah, Wait, twice. Of course so, I did, honey. So these atheists are going to vote for Donald Trump? No, I think it's a different faith they're talking oh, about. Oh, I see. Yeah. Back to Telly Savalas. <laughs> so, um, so good. Loretta Lynch wishes she hadn't done that. Yeah. That was really the you know takeaway from the interview, which I felt kind of... Why are they doing this now? Yeah, why now? It's a big deal. It's over. She said afterwards she felt that she did something wrong and she's, she apologized for it. That's good. I mean, really. They're, Even though they were just talking about their grandkids. They're, they're, you know what's interesting? Did you hear um, President Clinton's press conference? He, he's, he's very open about President Clinton, President Obama's press conference. Okay. He's very open about the mistakes he's made. Yeah. Like, I wish I could have done more there. I wish I could have done – I wish I had handled Syria better. Mm-hmm. wish I had. I wish I could have reached out to the people better and made the, those in middle America feel more heard. It was amazing. I mean that's pretty transparent. Right. The neat thing about the Obamas, honestly, whether you like the political side or not, they didn't sully and dirty up the presidency. No. Very, very clean, incredibly, I think, if there respectful were, family, first family. If there were any scandals, it was just like a policy thing. It was yeah, something it was just Loretta Lynch on the, an airplane. The business of being right. president, none That's of right. those other things that come in after. Uh, isn't that great news? Yeah. I mean, that's neat. Yeah. They left it, you know, they the scouting rule, leave it cleaner than you found it. Yeah. So what does that say about HW? No, not HW. W. Just, w, just W. He, I think they did. I think they did that as well. Yeah. I mean, there were the scandals of war. So, but going along with that, 
war. Ideology is the presidency is squeaky clean by now. No. Because they've each of those presidents has made it cleaner but, than But one. many presidencies have had big scandal. And a lot of them at the very end of their – like uh, President uh, Reagan had scandal. Um, President – was it uh, was it Nixon? He had a little scandal. It didn't sound right to uh, me. President Clinton had a little scandal. Again, yeah. I don't – yeah. yeah. I mean it's old news. But just – President Obama, I'm, that's, I'm proud to have a president that wasn't just riddled with scandal. He also, you know, wasn't able to do much because nobody would pass anything that he did. Yeah. But he's also regretted the fact that I think he – not getting that cooperation, he just sort of went, ah, forget it and did whatever – did other things he knew would probably make the problem worse. Yeah. But he felt like there was nothing to make it better, so we'll just go this direction, which was kind of vindictive and not the way yeah. he should have gone. Yeah. And he felt like if he would have tried to work harder to reach out to find some Republicans that would work with him, that uh, he could have had a more positive outcome. I have a feeling that, in fact, Mitt Romney even agrees that Donald Trump will be more open-minded. Because I, again, I think we've talked about this. It'll be unprecedented. (laughs) He will be unprecedented. (laughs) It will be unprecedented. I have a feeling that Donald Trump isn't so tied to a policy that he can't. Yeah, be which, open. which I think will shock a lot of people that <laughs> voted for him. Yeah, I do too. Like you said, the whole Hillary uh, putting her in jail thing, that was fun to talk about before. But that really yeah, doesn't matter do that now. Anymore, right? yeah. and, we don't you, know, need you know, there's people who are like, what? Don't need but to beat a dead horse. Yeah. I don't know why they would call that her that. That's rude. Yeah. Well, let's let Joe solve it. Joe, our Washington insider. We'll have him up next. By the way, the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. I found this little nugget of info. Ooh. Since 1900, only nine electors have voted for other candidate or abstained. Have switched Since their vote. the 1900s. Since 1900. And he needs like 33 to 37. get to 37 would have to go against Trump. Yeah, they'd have to change their votes. And only... Nine since 1900 have done that. Well, and they'd have to change their vote and then go back home. Well, they they don't actually they don't actually leave their no, state. Right. To I know, vote, I know, right? but they're gonna have to face their state. And a lot of there's a lot of this. The one guy in Texas is talking about flipping. He's got more than 200,000 emails. There's death threats. There's yeah. threatening phone calls. Don't you dare! Yeah. Oh, this is big business. Yeah. Big, scary business. Well, Joe Cannon will sort through all of this for us. He's our Washington insider. Joe in the know, we call him. We'll be talking with him in just a bit. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Hey, today, uh, the big day of the Electoral College vote, and uh, they'll be all casting their votes. Then they mail those votes in, and I think six months later, you'll find out who your president is. Except by the 20th, they've got to be, you know, having the big swearing-in ceremony, right? So who better to walk us through everything that's going on with uh, the with politics but Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. We call him Joe in the know. And he is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that is trying to um, lower your fuel costs here in the United States. He also is... Um, was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party here in the state of Utah, was also a candidate for U.S. Senate. 
served with the EPA administration under Reagan and was the editor of Deseret News. Uh, And we're just honored to have him on the show to pick his brain. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. How's life? Life is good, but I I think you need to change your uh, your, uh, intro music. What? I know. know. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Uh, a guy named John Judas is a you know pretty left wing guy, but interesting writer. Wrote a column titled "The Eve of Disruption," so you could take off on the Eve of Destruction. Ooh, you know, maybe maybe none of your listeners actually remember that song. But oh no, nineteen sixty five, long time ago. You um, I forgot how much you love music, Joe. Well, I don't know that I consider Eve of Destruction music, but I love the title, <laughs> the Eve. The eve of disruption. I mean, do you think is everyone just totally going overboard? It sounds like the left they 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 think we are on the edge of the apocalypse. They do, just like many of the right would have thought we were on the eve of apocalypse with Hillary. I mean, it's right. very very deeply divided and almost equally and opposite in terms of how people feel about the other about the other. Yeah, uh, side of things. It's just uh, it's very, really interesting to read uh, what the left has to say and the Democrats have to say. I don't know. It's, Is it? I, I would I I would just say one thing about relevant relevant to today. It turns out I actually was an elector, yeah, presidential elector in two thousand and four and in nineteen ninety six. So you you know what this is like. You were in you were in two thousand four. Okay, so explain the process as an electoral as an electoral college member. What what how do you how do you cast your ballot? Is there is there a lot of uh, is there a party? Do you do you sit with all of the others? Do you sit in a booth? How does it all work? So you do sit in a room, and in this case, in the state capital uh, for Utah. I don't know how other states do it, and you cast your votes. Uh, and those are all tabulated, uh, and then that's that's the, actually the electoral college. There's not a, a meeting where everyone gets together, but it's done as you might expect, just state by state. One one point I would it was it might be interesting. I don't know, but I actually considered myself. Oh, I lost you, Joe. Are you there? Oh yeah, oh, I can barely hear yeah, you. Oh, there you oh, go. Now you're better. Okay, okay. Um, I considered myself thinking about being a a faithless elector. Did you? In 1996. Yeah, in 1996, I was uh, the uh, during the primaries. You know, obviously before the convention, I was the uh, treasurer for the Steve Forbes campaign. Mm. So I thought, you know. What if I just cast my vote for Forbes instead of for Dole, who, who actually won the nomination and won and won Utah that year? But I was quickly and somewhat rudely informed by uh, um, oh, Oline Walker, who was the lieutenant governor <laughs> in charge of it. He said, oh, "You can do whatever you want, but you know, a there's a penalty. B you'll just be removed, and we'll put somebody else in." Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, because you you need to represent the vote of the state, I guess. Right, and many states. I think it's twenty six. I don't know, but many states actually have laws uh, prohibiting you from being a faithless elector. Mm. So. Is so really the odds of? Do, do you think any 
uh, any electors will go against and vote against their state? I don't know. I, I, there may be some. I don't know. What, what's unusual, what's really interesting about this is for all of the angst that the Democrats had prior to the election about would Donald Trump accept the results or would he throw us into a constitutional crisis by casting doubt on the uh, the uh, the, the uh, uh, legitimacy of the electoral process? Uh, and now all of a sudden we have advertisements by actors who discovered the Constitution and the Federalist Papers. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, yeah. They're citing one of the Federalist Papers. Flash bulletin. They should read the whole thing. Uh, I don't mean the whole of that Federalist Paper, but all of the Federalist Papers, well, not all of them, but many of them are extremely, extremely, it's the best political document aside from the Constitution. Anyway, it's, a, well, it's, it's I don't, I don't, it, I don't really expect that there's going to be a big disruption. It's again, like you were talking about earlier. I mean, this is this is what many were feeling eight years ago, and over the. I mean, this is this is how it works, right? Sometimes your party wins, sometimes your party doesn't. I guess Donald Trump makes it worse because he's just, you know, he's a little louder. He's got other problems. Well, I mean, he's got he's got his, you know sort of flaws as a as a person, but I don't think that's what's troubling the left. I think what's troubling the left is his uh, all out assault on political correctness, which is one reason he won, and right. one reason uh, they didn't. The other side didn't win, um, but there. Well, we can finish talking about electoral college. I'm sorry, it's going to change a little bit to the differences between. Uh, the Reagan takeover in 1980, which, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Democrats now speak with nostalgia about the about Reagan. But I'm mm. telling you, in 1980, wasn't quite as severe as today, but there were plenty of apocalyptic um, statements by, by people who lost and people on the left. Is It's interesting because um, the, the, the economics – the oil embargo, the lineup for fuel in America and, and the costs. I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of pain. Was there more pain in the in the in the population then or today? Well, I think in, in, in the in the Carter during the Carter administration, you had two really big issues that, that are not uh, at all existent today. One is what well, you just mentioned, the oil embargo and what. Well, you know, price spikes and, and, and actually the lack of availability uh, in some places uh, for gasoline. The other thing you had were interest rates, uh, mm. you know, on were, were in the high teens and low 20s when it came to just interest rates in general and even mortgage interest rates. So you're looking at mortgage interest rates today that are around 3%. Yeah. There you were looking at mortgage interest rates that are around 17 18 19%. So there was a lot more actual economic pain when Reagan came. So the residents of his residents of his argument, are you better off today than you were four years ago? That was that was a very deeply felt by lots of people, and I think that 
had a lot to do with him winning. Mm. Yeah. What um what what other parallels do you sense between I mean because it is funny they now they invoke with nostalgia those good old Reagan days even the Democrats I guess but like you were saying it was it was ugly. Yeah, well, it was definitely ugly at the time, but here's here are some very very significant structural differences between now between 1980 and 2016. So First of all, yeah, the uh, Republicans have the House and the Senate and the presidency. In, in 1980, Reagan took the Senate, but the House was still strong, was still Democrat and very powerful. So he was able to make some you know, negotiations and some uh, compromises with the House. But in the end, the House made a huge difference in checking what uh, the presidential appointees could do in the executive branch. And they did it in two ways, both by statute and also by hearings. I mean, I remember myself working at EPA being dragged up multiple times to testify or meet with Chairman John Dingell of the very, very powerful Energy and Commerce Committee. Mm. So so that was a, huge, a very, very big, big check. The other thing that doesn't exist now is thanks to uh, Senator Harry Reid was uh, these these appointees cannot be filibustered, right? So somehow the Democrats have to get all forty eight of their members and three at least three Republicans to go against the nominee, and that's going to be a very very hard task for two reasons: both both the Democrat and the Republican caucuses seem pretty united. A and B, the Democrats have. You know, uh, uh, as many as 20 senators for, up for election in 2018. Oh wow! Who live in who live in red states, and some of those states that went significantly for Trump. So those those senators are going to have to be very very careful when they vote against the Republicans because it will be held against them. The third thing that's um, a little more subtle but very very uh, important is people just simply don't care as much about the New York Times and the Washington Post. I mean, in the 80s, if there was a headline in the Post or the Times about this bad act on the part of a, uh, a cabinet member or a sub-cabinet member, it was, it was an earthquake. It was shattering, mm. career-ending. Career Today, with the, with the rise of so many different forms of media, there's been really a weakening of the power of that fourth branch in general, but in particular that those two newspapers wielded enormous power. So all three of those factors are very, very fundamentally different. That's a in twenty sixteen than nineteen eighty. Yeah, right. It was um it, you bring up an interesting point about uh Harry Reid's you know, passing the filibuster is do you think I mean, you make a move like that, you make a political move like that, you know, and then what was it, five or whatever years later, it comes back and bites you. Do you think um, kind of the stalling of a Supreme Court justice will come back and bite the Republicans someday? You know, it could. Because it was a year stall, right? Yeah, at least uh, yeah, almost a year. I guess at the time... Trump, well, Trump will probably nominate somebody on January 20th. You might guess he's got all these things lined up for the uh, you know his first hundred days. So that's definitely going to be one of them. But now the the so-called nuclear option 
by Harry Reid did not apply to the U.S. Supreme Court. So conceivably, not conceivably, it's very likely that you'll have a filibuster. You could have a filibuster of the Supreme Court nominee, and the Democrats could say, you know, we're going to take a year to think about this thing. I think, though, I think, I have no inside knowledge on this, but my guess is is that if that were to happen, uh, you'd you'd find the filibuster rule going away, even for Supreme Court nominees. Mm. And uh, and, and that would, we'll we'll just see what will happen. I mean, many Republicans, or at least some Republicans, are talking about keeping the filibuster rule, but plenty of others are thinking, well, we're not going to wait two years to fill a spot when especially the only thing standing in the way is a rule, not a law, not the Constitution, but simply a Senate rule, which is only about 100 years old. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, Joe, this is why we need you. We wouldn't know this information. Let's take a break. More with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us, Joe Cannon is uh, with us. Joe is what we call uh, Joe in the know. He's just really well positioned politically. He knows a lot of people. He does a lot of work back in Washington, D.C. So we like to have him on the show to pick his brain, to find out what we really should be worrying about and what, uh, you know, what's going on, what what he hears in the uh, cloakroom <laughs> at the Capitol. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Joe, are you there? Joseph, we lost him. We'll go try to find and, and track Joe down. One of the interesting things um, about this electoral college is he's one of the electors is Bill Clinton. He will be voting and passing an electoral ballot on his and for his wife. Uh, Joe, are you there, my friend? I'm here. Yeah. Oh, good. You're Sorry. good. Sorry. No, you're good. So uh, one thing we failed to talk about with the Electoral College is Bill Clinton is an elector. He will get to, I guess, vote for his wife. Right. But isn't he an elector from New York? I believe he's from New York. Yeah. yeah so, so he gets to vote for his wife. Yeah. What, what if he had uh, been, you know, from Arkansas? Did Arkansas go Trump? I'm certain. Yeah. Arkansas went Trump. Yeah. I guess if he were, but I'm sure. Yeah, I, that would have been a nightmare. <laughs> he has to go That's home. And so, uh, Hillary, uh, sorry, I didn't vote for you. Hey, um, talk to me about what what you see with the fallout from Russia and the CIA, the intelligence agencies kind of battling. Now the FBI is on board saying they, too, are in agreement that the, that Russia was aiming to help Trump uh, win the White House. What should we all take away from the Russia fiasco? And the influence on the election. Well, I, you know, I, we should be doing everything possible to fight the cyber war with them. I guess uh, I understand that the Trump folks are, you know, worried that this is somehow an effort to undermine his presidential election or his hopes or delegitimize his presidency. I don't know. 
that may or may not be true. But what is true is that nobody disagrees that the Russians were trying to interfere in the election. Right. Uh, and so I guess um, to, to me, there's no dispute on this. Uh, we, we should be Congress should be investigating it. The intelligence agencies should be uh, preparing whatever defenses or whatever offense. I know President Obama said there would be consequences. Somehow that hasn't mattered a lot in the past when he says those words. Right. But maybe it. But it should. It should matter. So. So yeah, I, I guess I. I understand the anxiousness on the part of some of the Trump folks, but no, this is a. This is an, an important, significant uh, national. Not, I don't know if it's a crisis, but it's definitely a national issue and an issue of sovereignty, an issue of national security, and we should be unhindered in our uh, response to this. So we should get all the facts and then do whatever we can physically. I'm not a cyber person, a cyber threat terrorist knowledgeable person, but we should be doing whatever uh, we could do. I, I would make a note of somewhat irony given that um, the Obama administration and Obama and Obama campaigners vigorously attempted to interfere in the Israeli election against Benjamin Netanyahu. I guess people are forgetting that. Now, that wasn't cyber. That was actually overt. Hmm. Campaigners over, they did polling, they, uh, they materially, materially aided the other side. So that was a, a clear effort with, if not... That's not his direct uh, command. Uh, definitely President Obama's acquiescence and his team going over to the, there to help the uh, anti-Netanyahu team. Yeah, we've been, I mean, we've been doing this for years, right? Well, I think CIA. Sure we, yeah, the CIA has been, yeah, talk about interfering in elections. How about assassinating uh, uh, foreign leaders? <laughs> yeah. There, there's a, a long history of, of this. But that doesn't make it any different. I mean, this, this threat is, sounds to me like it's real. Yeah. Uh, people agreed on that. Uh, fine, go after it. And stop worrying about, you know, it, it seems to me that the Trump folks are, are way too defensive on this one. Well, yeah, it's almost like you can st- still be anti-Russia involvement and not assume that that's the only reason you won the election it's yeah he he almost yeah he just seems too afraid uh an interesting story came out too about his son-in-law uh jared kushner but uh, kushner came clean on the fact i guess that the trump campaign had struck a deal with sinclair broadcast group during the campaign to try to secure better media coverage so yeah i mean i guess the sinclair group's a large conglomerate that provides they have around twenty or two hundred fifty thousand listeners with networks like CNN and others. And I guess so. Explain how these networks work, and should we be cutting deals with journalists on how they cover us? Well, just as a former newspaper editor, I found that um, the the initial idea pretty shocking, and it still seems to me like not a very good idea. But I don't know that these stations consider themselves news stations. Mm. as much as talk show stations. Now, obviously, this deal was about the news, but mostly these stations are vehicles to um, have mostly, con- in fact, I think exclusively conservative talk show hosts. 
so that they're trying to pump up their listenership by by glomming onto Brad Trump, which seems to work. Yeah, I mean, uh, it seemed to work whether there was whether it was conscious or subconscious. Conscious, uh, uh, clearly, the big networks ran to Trump. I mean, you know, how many times did we sit there watching CNN or CBS with cameras just trained on the airport waiting for Trump's plane to land? Right, exactly. You know, they they would not be doing that, deal or no deal. They wouldn't be doing that if they hadn't, if their surveys and their, their, uh, their polling, polling yeah. and their data didn't show that their readers, really, their listeners, watchers really wanted that. So, you know... I, I I think the explicitness of the deal seemed to be kind of stunning, but um, apparently, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't like nefarious. They were all up and up. We'll give you more interviews if you don't ask us bad questions. I don't mm. think they said it quite that way, but that's, but, yeah. how, that's how it sounded to me. Right. Don't ask us hard questions, and we'll give you more airtime. <laughs> And if you're if you're a, a, a radio network trying to beef your beef up your listenership, I guess you're going to do something like that. I guess they did. Mm. What do you think about this whole fake news thing? Facebook now they're putting together some really uh, strong supposed method for fact checking fake news. Um, they'll have a third party group that will do the fact checking of fake news, but. I mean, a lot of news is biased, right? So how do you... Yeah, I, I don't know. It depends on how you define fake news. If you define fake news as news that hurts somebody you like, mm. then you're going to be able to find a lot of fake news out there. <laughs> right. Uh, and I don't know how you, quote, fact-check that. Um, the fact is there's been a lot of fake news, uh, even on the even on the networks. I mean, reporting things that turn out to not be true... Uh, and and a number of uh, a number of big time re- reporters have been found to uh, made fraudulent uh, statements in, in their news stories. I, I don't know how you how you fix this problem. Mm. Uh, I, I guess it, to me it, it just bespeaks of a general deterioration of of uh, kind of the whole the whole public discourse. Kind of depressing. Yeah, well, and journalism as well, right? I mean, that's now all of a sudden we we're arguing. We've always had these arguments that journalism is the fourth branch of government. The journalists are the press; they're there to protect us. Except um, that that was Kellyanne Conway's argument. Well, the the biggest fake news that was perpetuated during the election was that Donald Trump couldn't win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he won. Well, the so-called fake news. I mean, you know, I. Even I'm not old enough to actually remember the term, but aware of the term "yellow journalism." Mm. From the very beginning, there have been, been uh, you know, mo- mo- until until really into the 20th century, most newspapers were highly and deeply partisan, one way or the other, and uh, vilified the other candidates. And that's been true since the founding. Uh, so I'm not I'm not sure how you cleanse that that problem. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't know how you, and then I don't know who you trust to do the cleansing. Right, because the so even now the, the before the fake news stories, you had all these so-called fact checkers, right? And somehow they found uh, most of the liberal stories were kind of okay, and it was those conservative stories that were wrong on the facts. Now maybe that's true, and, and it 
some objective sense, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I trust the fact checkers that much either. I agree. I agree. What do you think? Uh, what's on the radar? What should we be paying attention to that we haven't talked about? Well, I don't know the full answer, but I wanted to make two points. Yeah. Last Friday was the 241st birthday of Jane Austen. Mm. So many readers, many readers, many of your listeners may have watched a Jane Austen movie, but you know, they owe it to themselves to read a really, a truly a Jane Austen novel, and they will be delighted no end. Second thing, this week is the happiest day of the year. Yeah. No, it's not Christmas. What? It's the winter solstice. Now, why is that the happiest day? Because every day after that, it's going to get a little bit lighter. Ah. Nothing nothing can change that fact. It's it's the physical fact that December 22nd is going to be a little bit lighter and brighter than December 21st. That's always just a happy day. That's great. Then we can get more vitamin D. It's all good. Joe, we appreciate you. Thank you for your great work there at uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation. Keep up the great work. And we will talk to you again every Monday. Joe Cannon's his name. Go to fuelfreedom.org. Find out more about uh, his efforts to try to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We will take a break, wrap it up, and come back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. They're really, you know, there's a lot going on today. Today, the again, the Electoral College will be meeting, passing their votes on state by state. Um, eventually, these votes then need to be mailed in. 500, the, really, there's an Electoral College vote for every what is it, congressman and I think senator, those numbers for per state congressman and I believe senators and representatives per state is how many electoral college votes you get. Then they have to be tallied, sent in, and then they're tallied in the office of the vice president. Joe Biden gets to sit there and there's one for Hillary, there's one for – So finally he gets to do something. Yeah, he's been waiting eight years. To uh, to take this on. I don't know if you heard this too. Crazy news about Trump's airplane. They had to rename Trump's airplane. Because when they, when Trump now, the president-elect, is on an airplane, you got to pay attention to that airplane. So he should have priority landing rights and all of these things. But they need a name for the plane. So they renamed the plane Tyson 1. Really? Uh, after Mike Tyson. Oh, I thought maybe he had some ties to Tyson Chicken. Well, no. I think that was no. Hmm. Tyson won. So now when he's flying into New York and everyone gets out of Tyson one's way, you know what I mean? He'll bite your ear off. <laughs> That's what he's known for. Of all the things though, you could name your plane Tyson One. In a month he'll be known as it'll be Air Force One. Tyson won the number or Tyson W O N? I think it's it's won the number. Oh, I see. Tyson won. Tyson won with a bite to the ear. He could have come up with a better name. The Apprentice? Mm, the Apprentice won. Oompa Loompa? <laughs> Blowing in the wind? His hair? Anyway, good stuff. Making America great. Again. Again. We will take a break. Come back. When we come back, we'll spend a whole other hour making America great again. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on the show to help you live a healthier, happier life, healthier, happier relationships. Today, no exception, happy National Hard Candy Day. Mm. Wow. That is one satisfied customer. I don't know that I love hard candy. Hey, but I don't know that I don't. Yeah. I probably ought to try some. Do you do you like the Brock's candies? See, I grew up on those, just a bunch of hard candies. Like the what are those butterscotch discs? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. Our postal our postal man used to bring those around, give those to the kids. Yeah. Not really. Back in the day when you could take candy from strangers. Right. So hard candy. That's just candy that's been sitting out way too long. Yeah. Well, or you know, just hard hmm. candy. <sighs> like those peppermints that are all over the Christmas. Uh, calendars. Yeah, I don't like those. You don't like those? I don't like peppermint. Candy canes, not a big fan. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. How about dipping them in some hot cocoa? Mm, no. Mm. A little ru- minty hot chocolate. Kind of ruins the cocoa. I'm not a real big fan of mint. Mm. Now we're getting somewhere. We're figuring him out. He hates the mint. I go for the cocoa. There's a candy cane. Back away. Do you like, like a grape sucker lollipop? On occasion, sure. Do you like the apple no. caramel? No. Oh, those are good. No. Oh, mm. They sound like an apple. Artificial apple? Oh. Not good. But with caramel? No. Just give me the caramel. Green apple, artificial Carmel. green good. apple flavor. Caramel's good. Apple bat. Man, we got so much to talk about today. See? There you go. Uh, we're going to be talking about hard candy, of course, plus a hotline if your children are naughty – we now have a direct hotline you can call to talk to Santa to to call off the presents. Should I feel bad if I kind of talk to my son about Santa in that way? You mean like that, hey, if you're not if you don't if you're not better, I'm calling the hotline. Yeah. Yeah, you probably should. Listen, you just you did the story the other day about, you know, how fast Santa has to go to deliver right. all those presents across the world. Yep. If there's anything we can do to save him some time, I think we should help him. Okay. But is it, is it really about Santa? Shouldn't he know, though? I mean, he's supposed to be watching. I mean, isn't Santa here for us? We don't need to be here for him. Doesn't he have a satellite system by now? Yeah. But when you take a sick day, mm-hmm. do you think, this isn't really about me. This is about my listeners. I need to get in there. No. See? Now you understand. What he's thinking about is he doesn't want to make us sick. That's why he's choosing. I'm trying not to come in here when I have a yeah. fever. Well, imagine how sick Santa gets yeah. working those long hours in the cold. Well, imagine how many children were making sick. all those cookies. are terrified of the fact that Santa may not bring him something. Should you terrify your kid about Santa? I don't know, but we've got a hotline. Okay. Fear well. is always effective. <laughs> when in doubt, use fear. Um, hey, we will also be talking about parents 
and your confidence. Do you feel confident that you can get your kid to go to sleep? No. So last night, my wife had to sit there for oh, quite a bit, uh, quite a long time, trying to get my daughter to go to sleep. Well, that's hard because she's a baby. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's even my older kid, little Ben, my older kid, I just put him in bed, and he goes to bed. So you're confident your older boy will go to bed? Yeah. How about you, Jeffrey? You have two young ladies. I know they won't go to bed, and if they do, I know they won't stay in bed. Yeah, that's They'll why be you, up by five forty-five. You got to really tuck them in. You tuck them in really tight. My kid won't leave his bed. Oh, that's right, because yeah. you told him about the monsters. I said, do not leave your bed. He goes, okay, and he hasn't left his bed in five years. Well, that's going to be a problem when the house alarm goes off and the fire's there. It's okay. We have a, one of those monitors with a, uh, a speaker on it. They'll say, you may now get out of bed. No, I usually get on there and go, what are you doing? And then he freaks out because who's watching me? You know? <laughs> no wonder he won't go to bed. <laughs> Big Brother's watching. Because today we'll be talking about the fact that if you have confidence that you can get your child to go to bed, then you play a different, a stronger role in helping make sure they get enough sleep. Hmm. But a lot of parents don't think they can get their kid to go to bed. So they don't play that role. So their children are now not getting enough sleep. Now, is this with infants? Is this with older kids? I think it was with teen, like, uh, or young, uh, toddlers. Okay. Of. I mean, um, children, not teens. All right. You know what I mean? We'll get to that fun research in mm. a bit. Plus, a bunch of other incredible stories, black cats, you name it. We've got it all. Oh, good. Today. Great day. And, of course, Santa's hotline. We'll be getting to that as well. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what do we need to focus on? Thanks, Matt. As members of the Electoral College meet in their respective states this morning, a new political morning consult poll finds that 46 percent of voters say that the electors should be bound to vote for the candidate who won their state, which would give Donald Trump the 306 to 232 vote over Hillary Clinton. 34% said the electors should vote for another candidate if they have significant concerns. Another 20% were undecided. The poll split along partisan lines, Democrats supporting electors' choice and more Republicans favoring sticking with whomever won the state. That'd be interesting to see if the circumstances were flipped since everyone's on their team. Filmmaker Michael Moore says he will pay the fines of any Republican electors punished for voting against Donald Trump on Monday. The author wrote on Facebook, I obviously can't and won't give you money to vote tomorrow, but if you do vote your conscience and you are punished for it, I will personally step up to pay your fine, which is my legal right to do. Moore said that he his urge to financially assist rogue electors comes from his love of country. I'm simply asking you to vote for your vote your conscience and please do not put our nation in danger by choosing Donald Trump. Can you imagine if somebody said that about Hillary Clinton winning and her electoral college? Right. Boy. Okay. Would they be calling these guys rogue electors had Rogue no. One not come out over the weekend? No, they're just trying to hook on and... You're right. It's just marketing. Mm-hmm. It's all marketing. It should be faithless. Exactly. <laughs> faithless electors. U.S. Senator uh, Charles Schumer is increasing the heat on the federal government to, recon- to consider recalling e-cigarette batteries and devices that explode and catch fire, injuring users. Schumer, a New York Democrat, has called e-cigarettes ticking time bombs and said they continue to cause injuries, including severe burns, uh, about 66 explosions in 2015 and the early part of 2016. He said that he wants the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to figure out why so many devices, many from China, are exploding he said the recent injuries are proof federal action is needed. Wow. 
So we'll see what happens there. He's jumping on that. That's good. More than a thousand people. This would be our and finally. Okay. More than a thousand people in Alaska dressed up as elves or another elaborate costumes and took part in a polar plunge. Mm. The fundraiser for Special Olympics Alaska took place Saturday at Goose Lake in Anchorage, where ice was cut from a large portion of the lake to allow the plungers room to do their favorite dive like a cannonball. Other more timid plungers stepped into the frigid water, and others got a helping hand from fellow jumpers who pushed them in, apparently. <laughs> the fundraiser brought in more than $300,000. It's the eighth year for the event, and it's raised over $2 million in that time. Wow. It was about 20 degrees in Anchorage. Have you ever done such a thing? No. I walked out of my house this weekend. It was 20 degrees, and I was seems, just out there for a few minutes. crazy. Bucket yeah. challenge? No. No. By the way, um, this you don't need to take the plunge. You could just take a cold shower. You could. They say... Th- or you could just donate money without trying to give yourself hypothermia. But apparently, showering, taking a cold shower every day is really good for you. It actually decreases depression. Hmm. People that are taking these really long showers... They, they, it might be inducing some depression. Well, it gives you something to look forward to getting out of that shower. Yeah. And you have the warmth when you get out, which is pleasant. So- yes. Benefits. That, on medicaldaily.com, seven reasons why taking a cold, or not freezing cold, but cool showers is good for your health. Pretty cool. Increases alertness. Yeah. <laughs> Refines hair and skin. It, it'll make your hair more refined. Hmm. And your skin, probably because it doesn't open up every pore. Right. You know, keeps you nice and tight. Improves your immunity and your circulation. It lowers, it can also lower blood pressure, blocked arteries, and improve your immune system. A cold shower. Mm hmm. Stimulates weight loss because you're going to burn more calories as you shiver. Okay. Speeds up muscle soreness and recovery, eases stress. Actually, I don't know if I agree with that. It seems like it creates more stress. Yeah. But they say, I've never done it, but they say 20 seconds into the colder shower, your body gets used to it. Have you ever tried this? No. Will you try this? No, but it's kind of like when you hit your finger with a hammer, Yeah. the first 20 seconds are the worst. Okay. And your fingers actually look better afterwards. <laughs> they look bigger, wider, It, but it relieves depression. According to a 2008 study, they found that cold hydrotherapy has an analgesic effect and does not appear to have noticeable side effects. It's You don't become dependent on your cold shower. Hmm. But it actually makes you less depressed. One or two cold showers of 38 degrees Fahrenheit that last two to three minutes makes you uh, lose some of your depression. Don't say I didn't tell you anything. Okay. Now, for those of you that are depressed because your kids just aren't – they're just not being the kids they need to be this time of year, this seems to be the, one of the only times a year where you can actually manipulate them using um, gifts yeah. and Santa. Mm. I mean you can try to do that all year. It's just you don't have a elf on the shelf all year long unless you're like us and we forgot where we put ours. No, no we didn't put him anywhere. We forgot that he existed and like, I don't know, August, we look up on our shelf and there's still a – there's an elf there. Man, that guy was mad. And you remember packing him away. I swear we packed him away. That's creepy. And he he was ticked because he's like, you're leaving me out. It was bad. My wife got in a big fight with him. Cops mm. were called. Really? Mm-hmm. With the elf? Uh, the elf wow. cops. 
So are your kids being more naughty than nice this holiday season? Well, St. Nick himself is now offering parents an opportunity to report bad behavior in an effort to save him some time on Christmas Day. Here's our new sponsor, Santa's Hotline. Santa's Hotline, please hold. Whew. Things sure get busy here on the North Pole this time of year. Most of Santa's elves are working around the clock to finish making toys for all of the good boys and girls. But what about the boys and girls that aren't so good? Well, that's where I come in. From now until Christmas Eve, I'll be answering phones around the clock, taking calls from parents who'd like to report bad behavior. Here's a call I got earlier today. She won't eat a dinner. Her room's a disaster. And she started calling me by my first name. So if your kids are acting up this year, call Santa's hotline at 1-888-BAD-KIDS and ask for me, Fred. Here's another call. I better take this. Santa's hotline, Fred speaking. Boy. Did you get that number? Yeah, one eight eight eight. Write that down. Bad kids. Yeah, that's easy to remember. Ask for Fred. It's a great number. Boy, that lady was having a breakdown. Well, and the kid in the background, you could tell was not happy that that his mom was. Yeah. Well, yeah. So shape up or ship out, you know, and get rid of the elf on the shelf. Why you don't need the elf when you can just go straight to the source? Yeah, cut out the middleman. Just go right to Santa's workshop. Fred. Sounds like a very average name for an elf. I thought elf elf had better names. Elf folk. I don't know what you want me to say. No, I just thought they had better names than that. Hey, um, Santa tells a boy to lay off hamburgers and french fries. So we need to ask you, what do you think? A North Carolina family wants a local Santa Claus fired... After they say jolly old St. Nick told a nine-year-old to lay off hamburgers and french fries. Anthony Mays told WLOS that he was asking Santa for an iPod Touch and a drone for Christmas when he was body shamed on Saturday. He said, I went out and started crying because I felt so bad. He felt disrespected. Anthony's mother said she was mind blown and wished they never had visited Santa. The Santa who is employed by Forest City apologized to the family. It's not clear if any disciplinary action was taken. So should Santa be critiquing your son's weight? Only if he's prepared to be body shamed back. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Isn't it funny that jolly old St. Nick, he can have a little pooch. So he's fine eating burgers and fries. He gets his jollies off of... Making fun of uh, little kids that, that may have an extra few pounds. Maybe that's – yeah, that's what makes him jolly old St. Nick. Why didn't the kids say, well, you need to lay off the cookies? Tubby. Santa. Well, he can't because he won't get his he won't get his helicopter or his drone. He won't get his iPod. See, it's, it's an unfair – it's a disparity in power. But wouldn't – a little sweet revenge be a good enough gift? Don't say sweet to a boy that's can't eat hamburgers and fries anymore. Oh. You're setting him up. Santa's now body shaming. What is the deal? <sighs> poor Santa. He can't win. Wait, poor Santa? Yeah. Hmm. He can't win. He was just probably trying to help the boy. Son, look. 
as a guy who has a lot of people sitting on their lap all day, when you sit on my lap, it's heavier and we need to – so he was just – he was probably trying to help. He, he, he just needs some skills. He could have been a little more subtle. Yeah. You like, can. well, would you like for Christmas this year a subscription to Weight Watchers? No. See, yeah. That's more subtle. Maybe Santa needs to stay out of it. Maybe he just needs to wink at the parents and say, no, what do you say? He's just trying hmm. to help. Somebody's got to help. Because it's an epidemic. Our children are gaining more and more weight. It's an epidemic. I don't know. What do you do? But you can't say lay off hamburgers. That's just too abrupt. And that's crossing the line. Yeah, it is. You can't tell anybody to lay off hamburgers. Yeah. I mean, hamburgers shouldn't be the issue here. That is your right as an American. Totally agree. Totally agree. With fries. Supersized. We will take a break. Come back. When we come back, we're talking how to help get your kids to sleep and how to how your confidence may be impacting it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Does the family uh, in Clement Clark's, Clark Moore's classic poem seem relatable to you? Does everyone in your family, when they go down to bed, just go right to sleep? No creatures are stirring. Or in your house, is it chaos? Many families struggle to get their kids to sleep, not just on Christmas Eve, but every night of the year. Our guest today is Dr. Corinna Ria. And she recently completed a study that might help parents get their kids to sleep. And we are so uh, honored to have you here. Dr. Corinna Ria, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Talk about uh, your study. Um, Apparently, the confidence that a parent has to put their kids to bed, their ability to do it, their, their knowledge that they can make it happen is a big impact on how well the kids actually sleep. Yeah, that is what we found. Um, It seems like parents who sleep more themselves have kids who sleep more and also parents who feel confident in their ability to help their kids get enough sleep um, have kids who sleep more as well. Well, Explain the confidence factor. That seems strange. It, It doesn't seem like something you need to be confident about. But then the more I learned about it, I thought, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a lot of studies have shown that um, when people feel more confident about their ability to make change, that they're better able to make those changes. Um, And in our study, we asked parents, you know, how confident do you feel that you can help your child get 10 or more hours of sleep per night? And those who felt more confident did have children who slept longer. That didn't mean they were sleeping the full 10 hours, um, right. but they, they were sleeping longer in general. Is, is, I mean, it, is it getting harder to put kids to sleep today than it was for me maybe 10, 15 years ago? Uh, is, it, is it getting more difficult? I think it is. I mean, we know that kids are sleeping less and less over time, and I think there are a lot of reasons behind that, you know, busier lives. Um, I think screen time and media might have something to do with it. Um, 
early school start times. I think there there are a lot of factors. Um, but yeah, kids do seem to be sleeping less and less. And I and what are what are you finding in your research about uh, the the actual amount of time? So if a parent sleeps more, their kids tend to sleep more. Is that is that just because they're they are confident, or is it just because they love sleeping? Um, it, it's a good question, and it's not one we can really answer with our study. Um, so this was a it was a large survey of about 800 parents, um, asking them about their sleep habits and their kids' sleep habits. Um, so we know that parents who sleep more have kids who sleep more, but we don't really know why. You know, is it because they value sleep more, and so they encourage their kids to go to bed? Is it that everybody's going to bed at the same time? Or is it is it going the other way? Is it that kids who sleep better have parents who sleep better because they're not waking them up all night? Yeah. Um, we can't really tell which direction it goes. We just know that there is an association there. Is it um, when, like, what, what drove you? You are an attending physician in the Division of General Pediatrics at Boston College Hospital and an instructor at Harvard Medical School. What pushed you into studying sleep habits, sleep duration, confidence? So, um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a general pediatrician, so I see, um, I see a lot of patients for their well-child visits, and sleep is something that we, um, we often talk about. And I find, I mean, one thing is I've been struck by is just the um, lack of, I think, knowledge of a lot of my families about how much sleep kids need and, you know, what, uh, what good sleep hygiene practices are. Um, and also just the the kind of ill effects that my patients are experiencing from not getting enough sleep. Um, so that's why I was interested in, in doing the research to kind of see, um, you know, what what kinds of things um, on in a family perspective influence child sleep. A lot of people have looked at child factors, but not a lot of people have really looked at um, parent factors. Mm. What are some other factors? So one factor is their confidence, the parents' confidence um, at putting kids to sleep. We'll come back and talk about how we can become more confident at that, but also how much sleep the parents actually take. Any other factors that seem to be kind of a parent's influence on child sleep? Well, the other things that we looked at were parent screen time, partly because we know that child screen time is such a big factor. We looked at parent body mass index, you know, kind of reflection of their, their weight, um, we looked at parents putting limits on TV time and content for their kids, and we also looked at the amount of physical activity that parents were getting. Um, so basically things that we know in kids can be related. We wanted to look at those things in the parents. Um, but all those things, even though before we um, adjusted for demographic characteristics, um, parent screen time, body mass index, physical activity and TV limits were all associated with their kids' sleep. But after we adjusted for um, child age, sex, um, race and ethnicity, and parents' education, the effect went away. So it it, it doesn't really seem to be um, so much of a kind of family lifestyle um, as much as the, the sleep relationship itself, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. What uh, What are some ways we as parents – can can be more confident in our ability to help our children sleep? Well, I think a lot of it is, is knowledge. There have been a lot of um, surveys of parents just about their general understanding of 
you know, how much kids, sleep kids need and what good sleep practices are. And there seems to be a lot of um, misinformation out there. And I, I think that shows that maybe as pediatricians, we're not doing a, a good enough job at educating families. Maybe school systems aren't doing a good enough job. Um, so I, th- I think the first step is really just understanding how much sleep kids need um, and, you know, what what good practices are. Things like shutting off the TV and the cell phone 30 minutes before bed and not having electronic devices in the bedroom and things like that are really important. Mm. Um, talk to us about how much how much sleep a child actually needs. Do I mean, there, I keep hearing seven to eight hours is what an average adult needs. What what do our kids need? So there are um, a, a few different kind of official recommendations about this, and it, it uh, varies by age. But in the group I was looking at, the school-age kids, it's probably about um, 9 to 12 hours is what's wow. needed. Yeah, and so it's, it's really a lot more than adults would need, and a lot of people don't know that. They think 7 or 8 is, is okay, and it's, yeah. it's not. Well, and especially uh, we had somebody on recently that helped write some of those uh, – rules from the American Pediatric Association that um, was teens, teenagers need a, need a specific amount of hours. Like they need more than for sure they're getting, especially because we have a lot of them starting school earlier than um, some of the younger kids. Some of the younger kids uh, may actually need a little less than the teenage kids. So, I mean, I guess part of this is getting educated and then um, – being able to get your kid to go to sleep, getting them, I mean, that probably takes some confidence as well, getting them yeah. to actually do it. Yeah, it's true. And it's especially hard in teenagers, as, as you were saying, because yeah. it's, uh, you know, their natural tendency from a, you know, their biology wants them to go to bed later and wake up later. Right. Um, so I, I think it's true that in some ways we have it backwards and really the school age kids should be going to school earlier and the teenagers should be going to school later. Um, but there, there are things you can do, I think, to help your kids um, go to sleep, you know, having a really good bedtime routine and just doing the same thing every night with, you know, brushing the teeth and the book and going to bed, um, not having a later bedtime on weekends. Um, as I said before, making sure that you don't have screen time before bed, um, making sure the room is dark and quiet, all those kinds of things can, can really go a long way. Um, and then really just being consistent. You know, I think if you, if you vary your routine a lot, that really throws a kid off. Mm. It, 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 it's a crazy idea because back in the day, I'm assuming, everyone wanted to go to sleep. Right, because there was nothing else to do, and you were tired because you got up early and you had worked on the farm and you had had a really long day. You wanted to get to bed, and you know, got Nate God or nature's way of you know turning off the lights for everybody and making it cooler. Just may just know to go to bed. But now we have the screens, we have all of these interruptions, interruptions, television, all of these stimulants that we take in, um, and now it really is an art form. I mean, it's yeah. getting your kid to go to bed is art. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I think in some ways we're um, we're fighting nature. I mean, our, our bodies want to work with the dark and the light cycles and things like that. And in our artificial environments, we're kind of fighting against what's natural. Man, let's uh, we'll take a break. Come back, continue the discussion. We're speaking with Dr. Corinna uh, Ria. She is attending in the division of general pediatrics at Boston uh, Children's Hospital and instructor at Harvard Medical School. 
She's here to walk us through some of her recent research on the importance of our own patterns for sleep as parents and how that impacts our children. Stick with us, folks, helping you get a better night's sleep and helping you raise healthier, happier families. We'll be right back. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about some of the common mistakes we make as parents with our kids, our teenagers, in helping them get to sleep. And the impact our confidence plays as a parent um, and our confidence in how well we can get our kids to get more sleep, that's a big player in uh, in our children's health as well. Joining us is Dr. Corinna Ria. She is attending a pediatrician in the Division of General Pediatrics at Boston Children's Hospital and an instructor at Harvard Medical School. She's been um, researching. Uh, she got a master's degree in public health and a medical degree from Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. We're honored to have her on the show. Dr. Corinna Ria, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. So when we think about um, we want the confidence, and the confidence really comes from getting the knowledge we need, and then I guess some of just the practical – part of this is like we need the patterns, right? We need the habits of having a bedtime ritual, going to – consistently getting the pattern to happen, turning off our phones early enough. Um, I wonder sometimes if we have the discipline as parents that we need to have today to get this stuff to happen. Yeah, I think think that's a problem. I think we're all so busy that your time at the end of the day is is precious to you. And um, I think it can be hard to, you know, really be strict with yourself and with your kids about getting them to bed and getting yourself to bed. I think that is a problem. What what does what does it do? What does a lack of sleep do for our children developmentally? How does it impact them? It actually has quite a lot of um, negative impacts. There have been a number of studies about this that have shown that um, kids have more problems with attention and memory. Um, They don't do as well in school when they're not getting enough sleep. Um, They're more likely to be overweight and obese. They can have mood problems. Um, Really quite a lot of um, negative effects from not getting enough sleep. Is In fact, I guess it's the it's the chicken and the egg. Which comes first? Because is it the is it that we're out of shape? anyway, and that drives us to have other problems? Is it that we are not getting enough sleep and that drives us to become, to gain weight and to, to be out of shape? We hear over and over about childhood obesity. Um, and we hear even, we hear uh, Santa Claus just got in trouble for telling a child that he needs to lay off the hamburgers and fries. <laughs> so it's like, it's, and now it's, there's a major obesity, it seems like epidemic. Um, are they related? I think that it's possible that they are, yeah. I mean, I think you're right that there may be a behavioral component, but they've they've done studies that show that the um, your hormones are actually different when you're not getting enough sleep, your hmm. appetite hormones. So, you know, your leptin and your ghrelin that people talk about um, are, are changed by the amount of sleep that you're getting. So you probably are hungrier when you're not getting enough sleep. Man, and we don't even notice that or know that. And then... 
we're probably not exercising or moving enough because we don't have energy. We don't have energy because we're not eating properly. It's yeah, a it's cycle. Yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, so, what are your recommendations going forward, and where do you think you're going to take the research from here on out? Well, I think one thing that would be interesting to look at in a follow-up study, there, there is outcome data from the study. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether parents who felt like they had more confidence were actually better able to, to make a change um, a year later, whether their kids were able to sleep more. Um, but I think bigger picture, it'd be interesting to see whether um, this could be a, applied in a more practical way. You know, right now, a lot of the sleep interventions that are that are done in school age kids are are school based and so they're really just focusing on the kids and they haven't they haven't been that successful and maybe that's because we're not we're not really talking to the parents we're not really taking a a family approach and maybe that's something that you know either pediatricians or or the larger interventions could could try to do it's it's so strange it's it is a skill it sounds like and we have confidence in the skills or we don't. Um, it, it's it seems like something that you would just do naturally, but it's the, I guess it's it really is something that needs to be learned. And funny thing about the confidence is, we tend to be confident at things we we've practiced, thought about. I mean, you you weren't just a competent doctor, right? You had to go learn how to do it, and then your confidence right. gets better every time you practice it. I guess we as parents might need to just be more seeing this more as a learning thing. We need to learn. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think I think once you've done it and seen positive results, you're more likely to want to continue to do it. So I think that's another part of it. And model it, right, too, because if I'm not getting enough sleep, my children probably aren't either. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's obviously um, a very you know, strong relationship, and I, we don't exactly understand – why? But I think um, I think modeling could be could be a big part of it, and and also just how much you value it. What do you see as a pediatrician? Um, like, what what? How do they bring it in to you as a pediatrician when they're sitting there saying, "I can't get my kids to sleep. My baby, my baby's restless." Um, how do you go about sorting through it and solving the issue? Um, part of it is part of it is education. You know, trying to get a sense for. Um, where they're at, you know, how much sleep they think their kids need, and then maybe doing a little bit of education about that. A lot of it is sleep hygiene. A lot of people, you know, have a lot of screen time, have TVs in their bedrooms, even sleep with the TV on, Mm. um, really have a hard time kind of winding down before bed. They're drinking a lot of caffeine, things like that. Um, So I think that's a big part of it. And then some of it's just troubleshooting with them. You know, some kids have a lot of homework or a lot of after-school activities, trying to kind of work together to figure out how we can, um, you know, keep them in their activities and their mm-hmm. productive lives, but also increase the amount of sleep they're getting. There are a lot of com- competing demands on kids these days. I um, I will never forget our pediatrician. We went in, talked to him, and he was um, – we were telling him about how we have to get a bottle for our our toddler – I don't know what age. I don't know what you call it. Older oh, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're like, in the middle of the night, he just just needs a bottle. And he mm-hmm. looked at us and he says, no, no, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't need a bottle. It's just, that's just how it's, again, it's a habit, right? We've created this habit of giving him a bottle in the middle of the night. And, and he says, really, he's he doesn't. He can, you can go in when he's crying, love him, put him back down, get him used to the habit of just going to sleep. 
And yeah. it, it blew our minds like, oh, you can just do that? Yeah. You don't it's, have it's to stick huge. with the habits. Yeah, it's huge. And infants and toddlers, you really, it, it's just like you're hungry at lunchtime because you always eat at lunchtime. You yeah. Know? It, Babies and toddlers get into the same habits. They wake up because every night you give them the bottle, so they wake up for it. And if you if you just don't give it to them, then yeah, <laughs> yep, they're fine. Is is this too? I guess this is going to demand some new training as well for the physicians. It sounds like. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say this is something that we're actually very well educated in. There have been some interesting studies of doctors showing that um, that their knowledge is not as good as it could be, and it's it's not something that's taught very well in um, resident training. That's, right. the, you know, the kind of the stage after medical school. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's something that um, we should be working on professionally to educate ourselves better about and to, you know, ask more about during our visits. There's so many things to cover, um, but this is an important one that shouldn't be left left out. I mean, I guess it really should be, I mean, when you're talking to a doctor, they're always, they'll ask, you know, any sicknesses, any illnesses, anything abnormal going on, but maybe a common one needs to, we always talk diet, it seems yeah. like with your doctor, but maybe sleep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think definitely. I think it definitely should be on the the list because um, often parents, even if they're struggling, they just don't think to bring it up. They don't necessarily think of it as a, a problem they should be talking to their pediatrician about. But it, but it really is. It's something that um, we would like to help with. So what what are signs that I mean, I, I you may think your kid's getting enough sleep, but what are some obvious signs that they're not? That should be waking you up and saying, oh, my heavens, I've got to get my kid to sleep. I I mean, I think the most obvious is just daytime sleepiness. A lot of kids will fall asleep during school Hmm. um, or or want to take a nap right after school. I think those are signs that they're not getting enough sleep. But I think some less obvious ones, um, you know, when, when adults are tired, they tend to just act sleepy. But a lot of kids will actually get kind of irritable or Hmm. hyperactive. so they manifest it a little bit differently sometimes. And if if you're really feeling like your your kid just isn't acting like themselves or they act a lot different on weekdays from weekends when they're getting more sleep, it, it might be something to think about. Are they, are they getting enough sleep? Are they sleeping in, through the night? Um, which isn't necessarily where your, your mind goes first. But That's so true. I mean, because I, I guess they have to control their moods and it's harder to do that when you're tired. Um, so if you see a, a child that's really frustrated, hyperactive, bouncing off the walls, about 7 o'clock, it might be telling you something. Yeah. No, I think so. Um, I think it's something that you want to – it's something that's easier to fix than a lot of other problems, you mm-hmm. know, and so it's something you want to rule out before you start thinking about um, other types of issues. Now, one thing – I just had a lady in my office the other day telling me about – how she puts her children to sleep around seven thirty eight in the evening, and I'm like, "What? How do you do that? That early? Um, when? When should? When is a good a time? I mean, I guess they need nine to twelve hours of sleep, but I mean, I, I guess it doesn't matter how early you're putting them to sleep. I think it depends on the age of the child. I mean, for a school age child, I think that's actually a great bedtime, um, and you just have to kind of see when they have to get up for school and count. Yeah. backwards. Um, it's more challenging in an adolescent because it's not nat- they may need to go to bed at 9 o'clock to get enough sleep, but that's not natural for them. Right. Um, so that's a really hard thing and you have to until you know school start times change, it's something you really have to work on to kind of wind them down early and make sure that they're not getting too much sunlight exposure too late and things like that. Um, yeah, not having a big thing of 
stimulating hot cocoa at, yeah. you know, yeah. 7 o'clock at night. Well, yeah. I think it's great insight. Anything else as you think about it? Uh, we always kind of like to end on the one thing. What would be the one thing we as parents could do today to improve our confidence in putting our kids to sleep, making sure they get better sleep time? Um, I think just to to kind of have it at the front of your brain that even if they don't want to go to bed, it's actually really important for their well-being and that you're doing the right thing by putting them to bed early, um, even if they don't want to and even if it means getting to spend a little bit less time with them. It's just so important, and they're going to be so much happier and do better. Um, so it's, yeah, you're doing the right thing by putting them yeah. to bed earlier. Don't, yeah, don't think you're a bad parent. Uh, well, we appreciate you, Dr. Corinna Ria. Thank you so much for your work there. Keep it up there at Harvard Medical School and also in the Division of General Pediatrics at Boston Children's Hospital. It matters. It matters. Sleep matters for all of us. We will take a break, come back, and uh, continue the discussion on the flip side. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, sleep stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So are you a good gift giver? Are you one that just knows how to spread the joy? No. I'm a horrible gift giver. Me too. I think it's uh, that I think I'm bad, so I don't try. Yeah. I I don't like, I don't know. I hate shopping. I hate thinking about it. I hate paying the bill for it. Yeah. I do like to see the joy as they Try on something new. That's great. Yeah. But the whole process. Yeah. Gift card. I'll just give you a gift card. And I love that because then they get to choose what they want. Yeah. Whereas other people feel that's a very impersonal gift. Oh, come on. I'm like, yeah, don't beggars can't be choosers. This is not that they're begging, but you know. Yeah. So there's researchers, as according to a new study in the Journal of Consumer Research, which yeah. I know you subscribe to every now, day, yeah. is that those of us giving gifts are too wrapped up in sentimentality to buy anything of much use for our loved ones. Hmm. Ironically, the study finds that we're awful gift givers precisely because we spend too much time trying to be considerate. Huh. We imagine our friends opening a gift that is impressive, expensive, and sentimental. We imagine the look of delirious happiness and surprise on their faces. <laughs> and the warmth we feel in return. Hmm. But there's something that, mo- the, that the most sentimental gift givers tend not to think too much about, whether the gift is practical in the first place. Yeah. In many ways, practicality seems like an enemy of great gift giving. Gift receivers would be happier if givers gave them exactly what they requested rather than attempting to be, quote, thoughtful and considerate by buying gifts they did not explicitly request to surprise them, the researcher writes. Wow. So give people what they want. My wife, she's like, oh, I don't know what I want. You write a list. I'll get what you want. You'll be happy. Yeah, but if you love me, you should know what I want, and even though I don't even know what I want. Yeah, that's the argument coming back. And I go, I, the greatest thing for me, Amazon, might, all through the year, you see something you like, you click, you put it on a wish list. Yeah. Right? And so whenever something comes up, I just send that link to people and I say, pick something. Because they're books and things that are pretty much under 25 bucks. So it's like registering for Christmas gifts. Yeah, just go ahead. This is the stuff I want. Get me something. I know, but if I said, so what do you want for Christmas? And you're like, let me send you my list. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would like that, but then I'd think, wow, this guy's bold. 
<laughs> like here, fix here's something. my list. What am I, Santa? And then it says across several experiments, they find that givers consistently give gifts based on desirability, and recipients uh, co- uh, consistently favor gifts based on feasibility. Hmm. When we buy gifts that we hope the recipients will use, we tend to think too much about sentimentality than utility. After a while, many gifts are just things, and if they're not useful or practical or convenient, then what exactly makes them a great gift? Ah, see, that's that's a great question. So, the, Sen- sentimental's great. That's great. It, right? That's it's, good. It's, but practical's good too. Now, there's a. There's a whole, you know, the, the, the higher level meaning of Christmas and all yeah. this. But when you get down to the base level of it. It's, it's about cash flow. It's about, it's about presents, right? Yeah. So is it a want situation or a need situation? What kind of gifts oh, are, should see, people be now, getting? Now you start sounding like a parent. When mom gives you socks, not as cool as a toy that you didn't need. Well, but mom could give me socks in March. That's my point. Today exactly. I want a Go toy. for what you want because you're always getting yourselves what you need. That's a great point. And I appreciate the piano accompaniment. That's great. It adds to the flavor. The neat thing none of you know is Jeff's actually sitting here playing That's great. the piano. So much talent on the other side of that board. <laughs> um, another news, uh, Donald Trump has chosen a wrestling exec to head the Small Business Administration. Yeah. We've talked about that. Man. But he's not getting Rocky to head the National Endowment for the Arts. He's not going to get Adrian. Sylvester Stallone announced late Sunday that he isn't interested in taking the arts leadership role in the Trump administration, though he might be willing to take a post where he could help veterans. He was, I am incredibly flattered to have been suggested to be involved with the National Endowment of the Arts. Uh, however, I believe I could be more affected by bringing the national attention to returning military personnel in an effort to find gainful oh, employment, cool. suitable housing, and financial assistance these heroes respectively Deserve. That's great. Then he added, "Nothing is over," meaning he, he's still open to a position. Yeah, he's yeah. Thanks for translating that. You're just hammering away on that piano. That was the baseline right there. Um, the National re- Endowment of the Arts. Would they, you would you put Sylvester Stallone in there? Well, he can't put Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's running his Apprentice thing. <laughs> he's busy. Yes. So who would I put if it's not going to be, you know, Stallone? I don't. I don't know. I'd put uh, what's her name? Who's the big female actress that is the best, most Academy Award winning? Probably someone who's busy acting. Not. I mean, I would on. think Meryl Streep Meryl is Street. not Republican. No, it doesn't matter. Doesn't it? No. Okay. No. It's about the arts. You you can't get a name person because they're probably still working. And when you're in charge of this, you kind of need to pay attention oh, to Chuck it. Chuck Norris. He could put Chuck Norris in there. He needs to get either Stephen Baldwin or Scott Bayo. They were like the two celebrities yeah. that voted for him. Does it need to be a celebrity? What about having his uh, the guy that fills in and, and imitates him on SNL? Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. They take him off the TV. I yeah, mean, sure, uh, they fight a little bit, but right. I think it would take it make him busy. And he said he'd stop. All he needs is the tax returns, right? Right. So if Trump produces the tax returns, Alec Baldwin steps away. No more Trump on SNL. You're good. Great. Great. Again, the news that uh, you don't always know you need, but you got anyway. We call it empty news from the Matt Townsend Show. So get people for Christmas what they want, not what you think they need. That's right. Don't just be practical. Yeah. Don't put too much thought into it. Gift cards. Go. Hey, you know what I want? I never want that song to be played again. What? Sorry. So get them something on their list or you're going to make their list. That's right. 
That's the list you don't want to be on. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. Happy Monday. This is the Monday um, before Christmas. Christmas this year is on Sunday, which for some... They're like, ah, oh, don't make me go to church on the day that yeah. Christ was born. What's this church on Sunday thing? I mean, I got a lot of pushback on that the, yesterday. Yeah. When my kids found out, I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Presents. Mm-hmm. No. Condensed church. Yeah. So instead of three hours, I assume it's one hour for you guys, right? Yeah. But they still said it would it would still feel like three hours. And my kids feel uh, frustrated because they that means at nine in the morning they have to get ready to go and they have to put on their church clothes, which for some reason my kids feel like it's a straight jacket. Like the rest of your life, you're going to wear pants, son, and a belt. Not really. Get used to it. That's not how a lot of jobs end up. <laughs> That's true. Nowadays, you can just sit in your moo moo and. I came from a place where it was shorts and flip flops all day. Really? Yeah. How your was, house? He was, was at your he house. He was a lifeguard at the oh. beach. It was great. See, but that's sports radio. I know. <laughs> Nobody cares. Here at BYU Broadcasting, in a, you in have a to wear pants and you have to wear a belt. You got to shave. Or you know, yeah, you could wear suspenders. That should have been the Christmas gift this year. You don't have to shave. Oh, I've, I wore my Christmas gift. Did you? What yeah, was that? It, my sweatshirt. I didn't wear it today. Oh, I wore it the other like, day. Huh. It's, it's good looking. It has BYU Sports Nation on it. That was your Sun Christmas Valley? gift? Sun mm-hmm. Valley? From when? This year. You haven't seen it. I didn't wear it. I wore it after I left here. I thought oh. it was your Sun Valley sweatshirt. This, I'm wearing, wearing Sun Valley today. Idaho, right? Yeah. Have you been there? Mm-hmm. Idaho? I didn't run into out. any celebrities. Yeah, no. They're hiding. Matt goes there because they have the uh, intellectual summits. And yeah. They have him speak to the, the multinational companies. That's it. I like to go there and talk to the the really smart people. The movers and the shakers, if you will. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are shaking. Yeah. It's freezing of- up there right now. <laughs> freezing. Hey, uh, great news for um, a mannequin. I've got to now find the story. Did you hear this story about the mannequin? So, middle of the night in a town, there is a mannequin asleep, they thought. A life-size person that looked like an elderly senior citizen. And it's a mannequin. It's not real. But the guy that, the guy that ha- owns the mannequin works for kind of a health clinic company that goes around and trains, I think, on health issues. And he just leaves the mannequin sitting up in his passenger seat of his car. I'm trying to find it. It was just... Do you want me to read it to you? Yeah, do you have it right there? Yeah, I was just going to delete it from my news list here. It is... Um, it is... For tomorrow's show. So they shattered the window. Sorry, I'm going to do it now. Yeah. So they shattered the guy's window. <laughs> 
to save this mannequin because it was like 10 degrees below zero or whatever. Explain the story. Hold on. The front desk is calling me. Oh, really? Okay, that means, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Time Union of Albany reports that a caller told police that there was an elder, elderly woman frozen to death in a parked car. Officers rushed to the scene, found it what appeared to be a woman sitting in a car front passenger seat wearing an oxygen mask. She looked horrible. A sergeant busted a rear window, opened the door, discovered that the woman was a realistic mannequin. The car owner... Uh, arrived and said he used the dummy for his job selling medical training aids. The police chief says that the owner was incredulous that the police broke his window to rescue a mannequin. Right. Ticked off. So let me tell you, well, let me ask you. So the elderly woman was okay then? Well, once they warmed her up, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all I care about, just that she was okay. Well, it was a mannequin, you know. The the fake woman. But she was okay. Well, Well, yeah. She was okay to begin with. But she was frozen. Oh. But... They warmed mm. her. Okay, so which is stranger? That the police have to break your window, and um, as they break your window, they th- that's how they save the mannequin's life, or the mere fact that they have to, um, or that they watch you shoving a body into your trunk. See, that's the problem. You don't feel comfortable taking your mannequin, your life-size mannequin, and shoving it into a trunk when they're in the middle of the day when a lot of people are watching. Because they're going to think, hey, that guy just put an old lady in the trunk. That was his carpool mannequin. Yeah. So now you leave the mannequin in your car, and then they're going to break your window. You can't win. Once you start carrying around a life-size mannequin, you're not going to win. There's nowhere to put the mannequin. I think that was also his voting mannequin. Come again? His voting mannequin, you know. Hmm. He took her in to vote. What's that? So he got an extra vote. Wasn't Mandy Patinkin? Never mind. I know Mandy. Go out. Finish your finish well, thought. He wasn't a mannequin. No. He was an Ego Montoya. He was a Mandy Patinkin. Nickin. Hmm. <coughs> I'm just going to stretch. Odd, that was an odd situation. Just like you did. <clears throat> anyway, let's get to the headlines. Uh, Terry, what you got going for us around the rest of the country? What do we need to pay attention to? Last month, President-elect Donald Trump argued on Twitter that he would have won the popular vote if millions of people who voted illegally had not cast their ballots for Hillary Clinton. That claim was widely ridiculed at the time, but the New York Times actually asked the people who supervised the 2016 general election in all 50 states how many credible reports of fraud they had found. Kansas did not respond, so this is just 49 of the states. The overwhelming consensus, the Times says, next to none. Americans cast 137 million ballots in the 2016 election. 26 states and Washington, D.C. reported zero credible allegations of fraudulent voting. Eight states reported one case each. And a handful of other states said they are still collectively reviewing a couple dozen allegations of suspicious voting. One of the cases they came across was a woman who... Did an absentee ballot, then got nervous, showed up the day of just to make sure that her vote was counted by voting again. But it sounds like Kansas has a lot to hide. Could be. And then there was another situation where a woman in Washington who also had a home in Oregon voted in both places. See? By the way, Republican or Democrat? Don't know, but Ah! again, one. Excuse me. So not not a lot of evidence of any of this happening. Right. Uh, Trump has made the unusual choice. President-elect Trump has made the unusual choice of continuing to employ his own private security team instead of leaving the task up to the Secret Service. 
It's playing with fire, said a former Secret Service agent, Jonathan Wackrow, who worked on President Obama's detail during the 2012 campaign. Having a mix-and-match security team working events in tandem with Secret Service increases the service's liability. It creates a greater confusion and it creates greater risk. Trump is expected to continue the same system throughout his presidency. Political reports, all modern presidents have, up until now, deferred to the Secret Service. Huh. He has a mix. He has a private security uh, service, and they have, uh, like, former New York City police officers that uh, staff that group. So we'll see how that goes. As early as next month, U.S. intelligence agencies will report to Congress, and Congress will share with the public the federal government's best estimate of how many Americans have been affected by online surveillance programs nominally intended to monitor only foreigners. Mm. This data will arrive as Congress debates the reauthorization of Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act of 2008, which details procedures for targeting certain persons outside the U.S. other than United States persons. Wow. So they're not supposed to be spying on us, but they've kind of, you know, spied on some of us. Hey, everybody's spying today. So apparently we find out that, you know, Uncle Bob got caught up in some wiretap. We'll find out. And finally, a northern Kentucky man bothered by a rattle in his car he'd recently bought at a Ohio auto auction found two pounds or about $130,000 worth of heroin in a secret compartment inside the vehicle. Whoa. He goes, we went out to dinner one night. The car started making some strange noises underneath the passenger seat, the man said, who asked to remain anonymous. Uh, In fact, he drove the Volkswagen Jetta for several weeks before discovering the heroin beneath the front passenger seat. Investigators found more than six and a half pounds of heroin in the car eight months ago after the Ohio State Highway Patrol arrested a former Mexican law enforcement officer who said a drug cartel had forced him to drive the drugs across the country. Interesting. Wow. A highway Patrol spokesman said the car was thoroughly searched before it was released to the auction. The auction company has agreed to take the car back. They say it's a common problem you know, because uh, have this happen all the, the time. they're really good at hiding this stuff in yeah. the car, making these compartments, and they'll miss them sometimes. And some of this stuff gets into the whoever so, the new owner is. So now you're driving your minivan, and the kids are all quiet in the back seat. Because they've dug out some block of cocaine. Yeah, there you go. Oh, geez. I purchased my car from an 80-year-old woman. I might want to take another look under the passenger You're going to find, like, Ben Gay under the seat. <laughs> Just poke around, see what you find. <laughs> Don't trust it. Don't trust it. Wow, interesting. Um, boy, it never ends, does it? Mm. So we talked last hour about the fact that Mr. Trump renamed his airplane. He did. Trump or Tyson won. Tyson won. Chicken. Why? Well, because once he takes the oath, it's Air Force One, whatever plane he's on. I know, but why wouldn't you name it Ivanka One? Baron. Ooh, Baron One. That would have been such a great tribute to little Baron. Did he choose the name, or is this like the FAA chooses the name? I think they got to choose it. Oh, interesting. Tyson, after Mike Tyson. Yes. I mean, again, if you... Mike Tyson doesn't have the greatest history with women. True. Ears. Holyfields. Tigers. Bears. Oh, Oh my. my. Okay. Just finish that off. (laughs) Just let that hang out there for you. Wow. Um, uh, (laughs) What would you like to have called the plane? You you apparently don't like Tyson 1. Baron 1. Planey McPlane face. There you go. It's a great... It's a great name. Just call it Trump Force One. That's what they were calling it before. Trump Force. Yeah. TF. TF1. You'd think you'd just call it Trump One. 
then when you say Trump One's coming in. You can't call it the greatest airplane ever made. Hmm. How about May the Force be one? Mm. No. Uh, today's National Hard Candy Day. Hmm. That was an apple. That was like I think that pop was pop rocks. I think that was pop rocks or a spritz. Yeah, you know, that's just a clown horn. So again, there you go. Now that's hard candy. Case closed. Um, I told you that because of Jeff's hearing impairment, mm. it makes it harder to do the soundboard. It's great, right, Jeff? Did you know about this before we hired him? No. I mean, his job does really he is didn't, audio-centric. He didn't tell us about the air horn problem until yeah. about two weeks ago. Hmm. Now he he can't get an apple crunch from is a that, hard candy. Is that one of thing. those you should disclose before? Yeah. Is there any Well, I mean, you know, I, we, we wouldn't discriminate. We're not discriminating. It's, well, I mean, there's discriminating, and then there's not being able to function in the yeah, job. Yeah, I mean, at some point, when you're running the soundboard— you got to hear. I'm drafting a formal complaint as the two of you speak. Just okay. so just, you know. Just so you know. All you got to do is copy the show. Just copy the entire audio of the show. No, you're doing fantastic. Um, uh, at least you're not Ashrita Furman. Ashrita? Ashrita. Okay. A New Yorker who holds more than 200 Guinness World Record uh, uh, records. Yeah. She collects them. Mm-hmm. She made a birthday cake for her friend's 85th birthday. The Guinness site reported Monday that the cake was a group effort with 100 people working together to make the 80-foot-long vanilla mousse-filled sponge cake. Oh, yeah. And then they covered every inch of the cake with candles. 72,585 candles. Yeah. Here's some audio at the scene. She created a... What an effect would be like a forest fire in this room? Oh. Fire extinguishers? That's how they had to blow it out. Yeah. Wow. I'm glad that wasn't like that lady, the 85-year-old lady trying to blow that out. See, it's always rough when the you get the candle, you light it, and then it starts dripping wax on the cake. Right. Then it just became a big wax ball. Yeah. It's uh, that In order to be a record, it had to burn for 40 seconds. Hmm. Um, sadly, the entire building was consumed <laughs> in flames. There were far too many candles for anyone to blow out any traditional manner, so the candles had to be put out with CO2 fire extinguishers. Which, by the way, tell me that seems to ruin the cake. CO2? I hate CO2 on my cake. Mm. Hmm. And all the wax. Right. Hey, by the way, you know what we tried the other day that we haven't tried forever? Uh, do you remember those little wax... Candies that are filled, they're, bo- they're shapes of bottles, and they have different flavors of liquid inside? Yes. We tried those. Mm. Uh, it was a, it's, it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful candy, because oh. today's hard candy day. It was a wonderful candy back in the 50s, I think. Back with the apple again. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the apple is nature's first candy. Oh, okay. Nice. Tell that to Adam and Eve. Yeah, right. Um, so here's the dilemma. They're horrible. <laughs> Super fun. They taste horrible. Well, weren't they supposed to – weren't they meant to be candles? Because they're made uh-huh. out of wax and the stuff that's inside of them, that's the – But it, uh, it's supposed to like taste like root beer. Mine was supposed to taste like cherry soda, but it tasted like uh, my medicine that I've been taking for my lungs. 
Well, I think that's the fuel inside the the little oh. wax bottles is actually fuel. Oh, so these were just little. They were candles. Oh boy, yeah. they didn't work very well. So Maybe they said, it. "Let's do candy." That's part of the word. Ah, boy, misspelling. Yeah, that's it then. It's not the candy that's bad. It's candies, but they candle, accidentally put an L instead of an I there. The I actually maybe the just it was an L, but the I there was just a little gap between the dot and the. Yeah. Anyway, I don't recommend anybody go eat those old time candies or candles. Just a little health update from the Matt Townsend show, because we care about you. We will take a break. And when we come back, Kim Giles will be joining us. How to have a Christmas without comparison. Is there a way to do that, to set up your kids to not compare? And you to not compare to the neighbors. I have a solution. What? Only have one Christmas your entire life. Then that will be the Christmas without compare because you don't have anything to compare with. That's a brilliant. That's one way to do it. We'll let Kim Giles give us some other ways. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Ah, it's the holiday season. And who better to help us through it? Uh, Kim Giles joins us. Kim is the... Named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America. She's also been named one of the top five advice gurus in the intergalactic region by The Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles owns Clarity Point Coaching. She's a speaker, an author, a life coach. How are you, Kim? Good. Good to have you. Glad to be here. Thanks for the homemade fudge. Yeah. Yeah, the homemade fudge. I've been slaving over a hot stove all season. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, would you, I used to bake. Would before you? I, I wouldn't had even know how to make fudge. I don't either. I, a matter of fact, at our holiday family party, they said, you know, do you want to bring the rolls, a dessert? And yeah. I said, whatever you're okay with being store bought. Yeah, that's what that's, that's what I'll bring. See, I I have three sisters. I don't cook anymore. They don't even ask. They just assign us. And my wife's a great cook. They just assign us stuff. Like, can you bring four liters of Sprite? Sure. Sure. I can yeah. do that. I'll do that. Yeah. My sister-in-laws yeah. and sisters, you know, they all homemade everything uh-huh. beautiful. And I'm just, uh, yeah, you're, you'll be glad I'm here and I brought something. <laughs> we all have different things to give. We do. And I you, have different talents. You have incredibly big talents because you're going today to teach us how to have a Christmas without comparing. Yeah. Christmas, it's hard on a lot of people. And yeah. I have to admit, even some of my children are nervous about those holiday family parties because of the questions they're going to get asked because everybody's going to ask well how was your year yeah. what have you been doing how was what your are, year? Yeah. Are, you, are you in school where you know well, that's the thing every and every kid's like my son everyone's like are you dating so right? he's always got that Cringe comparison right. when they ask that right. and then with me they're like so did you have a good year financially <laughs> Any plans going forward? Everyone, you're like, yeah. Yeah. And and there's a lot of us who, 2016 was a rough year. It was year, a hard year. And yeah. we're kind of like, yeah, we don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. I'd <laughs> don't rather ask not go about there. this year. And, and I've got, you know, one of my children suffers from a lot of depression and anxiety. Mm. And and all the questions, she just doesn't even want to go. Yeah. And then you get there and, and you've got all these family members that fa- look like they have the perfect family. Oh, yeah. Right. And they're just excelling and they're just 
you know, it's been amazing and all the great things are happening to them. <laughs> and you're sitting there, okay, I feel worse than ever about myself yeah, because so I came true. to this family party. So there's a lot of yeah. comparing. And I've had many years, especially back when I was a single mom, when it was pretty sparse under the tree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got the cousins and everybody talk, talking about all the great gifts they got. And, ow, those are hard. It's, yeah. it's hard, oh. really hard not to compare. And, and, and especially with kids, right? Because kids compete. I mean, especially teenage kids. Like, I keep trying to get yeah. this expectation set in my children's head about what Christmas is going to be like this year. And they're, they're not having it. Yeah, I heard you're, you're talking yeah. about the having to go to church on yeah. Christmas. <laughs> They're like we. <laughs> My friends aren't gonna. Their parents are gonna make them. Everyone's like, we should be going skiing on Christmas. We always go skiing on Christmas. And like, well, yeah, but today we're just gonna celebrate the Sabbath. Yeah, it doesn't happen every year. No, we they can, can handle, handle this. They can handle it. We can handle it. So what do we do? How do we? How do we keep comparisons out of Christmas? Okay, so I've got five things that we can do to kind of make these family parties better and and be able to get through and actually still feel good about yourself. So the first one is remember why you're here. And I don't mean here at the Christmas party. I mean here on the planet. Yeah. Because, Matt, this is not a shopping or sightseeing trip. Thank heavens. This is not a contest. And he with the most toys does not win. It's not a beauty pageant. And it's not a race to see who's the best parent. And it's definitely not a test. right? Right, right. You are here on this planet for one reason, and that reason is to learn and grow, learn to become wiser and stronger, and I think especially more loving, right? So I came up with this great question that would get us all off of the comparing and the materialism, and, and instead of asking even how somebody is this year, the very best magic question that will change your family parties. You ready for it? Yeah, yeah. Tell me what life taught you this year. Oh, that's a great question. What'd you learn this year? That's a great question. Isn't it? Yeah. I, I Because that's what matters. Yeah. Let's get the focus on what matters. And you know what? The people who had it rough this year, they learned the most. And they have the best. I mean, then you can all uh, listen. to Oh, listen. Right. Stacy's telling us what she learned after that accident. That's great. Yeah. We got to do that with every that's family such member. A good thing. And I guarantee if you take the time to go to each family member and ask that question, that family party be, will be one where you realize that everyone in your world has something to teach you. Mm-hmm. And you'll also be able to see how we, we all are here in our own individual classroom of life, right? Yeah. And and that's my point number two is that you've got to trust the classroom. You've got to trust that the universe is a wise teacher and it knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And even if you've had a very bad year, that was because this these experiences you had this year were the ones that were going to help you to grow the most. Yeah. And And my favorite Buddha quote that I use all the time is that it's your resistance – to what is that causes your suffering. Mm, I love that. Okay, so whatever is or was this year, we have to trust that this was our perfect classroom to be there this year. And it's not about your value, the fact that you had these rough experiences. It, it's just what about what they could teach you. And we've got to put our arms around those experiences instead of experiencing all this loss and disappointment that our journey was this way. 
wrap your arms around that stuff, find the the lessons, the reasons that this might have been your perfect journey, and、yeah. you're going to have so much more peace. Oh, but see, then if you ask, like I with my clients, I ask that question. So tell me what you're learning. What did you learn this week since we met last time? But Then it becomes a teaching moment for them, but it also becomes—it's almost like it's—it becomes more spiritual. Then it's—it's it's sacred because it doesn't—it wasn't about comparison. Well, oh, I learned more this week than you did, because you went through your own trial, I went through my trial. Then it becomes something—a real gift you're giving to each other. Yeah, doesn't it? And, and it? and it has in it this trust in God. Uh huh. I, I tell my clients every day: it, if God is a God of order, which I believe He is, yeah. Then there's no accidents, and and everything that's into your life is here conspiring to serve you. We may not see it that way up front. You、yeah. may have to really step back and trust him, but whatever it is, it's here to bless you, and you are getting stronger and wiser and more loving through the course of it. I guarantee. So true. That's great, and it's I guess the trusting the classroom idea is no matter what's happening to you, there's some. There's some learning that will benefit you for eternity. There is. Matter of fact, I I ask my clients to literally sit down with pen and paper and write down ten positives that that negative experience has created yeah, in your life. Yeah, that's such a great activity. And I stole that question from Viktor Frankl. Yeah, he used it with the people that were in the concentration camp,、mm-hmm. and you know they could come up with ten positives、yeah. that being tortured in a concentration camp created. So no matter how bad your year is, if、you're, you really look, you can do、okay. it. You can do it. You got、But、this. Framing everything is a learning、um, because now you've got the, the universal right. Now you're dealing with the universal truth. It's not about did you make money this year. No. But what did you learn about your struggles making your money this year?、And、that's powerful. That、It、goes、is. with you forever. Yeah, you know it's it's really interesting even to ask small children. Mm-hmm. Because you'd be surprised how many things they actually have noticed or figured out during the year, and and guys, we don't do that very often where we get down on their level, yeah, and ask them a deep question and really be will be willing to give them all your attention and listen and imagine what a confidence boost、mm. that is to a child to think I must be really important if these adults want to get down and listen to、yeah. what I think. Yeah, you know Stephen Covey used to have everybody. At dinner, they they called it three person teaching. Everyone needed to teach something they learned today, and they would have to then reteach it. So he said, "I don't care what it is that you learned, just you're all going to teach us something you learned." And then it actually changed his children because it forced them to know that they had to learn. So they had to then bring a learning to the family every night. So you're watching all day for、yeah. what today's lesson will be. I I warn my clients every day. There's going to be a lesson. The universe is, is going to provide、right. you something. It might be a grouchy spouse、mm-hmm. or a teenager that that punches his brother. Right? It it's not what it looks like.、No. It's today's lesson. Yep. And it honestly doesn't matter if it's a formal. I learned it in school. I mean, okay, that's one level. But then eventually, when we're done with school, we think our learning's kind of done. But you're just getting started. Oh yeah, you're just getting. started. That's why all the life lessons are what are powerful. And then, man, if you journaled that, if you had a little time every day to write down and synthesize what, what you, you learned, learned today, that's cool. Oh, folks, this is golden stuff. That is really powerful because then all I mean now you've got the gist of existence is just in your journal because every lesson you come up with is probably a universal life lesson. 
Oh, Matt, I'm going to do that this year. I am too. I'm What a cool idea! All right, let's I, go. I got to find a way to do it journal. with technology. So I because I always have yeah. my phone with me. I don't mm. always have my written journal that I write in. That's true. Our phones are with us everywhere. But oh, you can oh, there's something about that. Okay, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. All right, we'll we'll keep tabs <laughs> on each other. Okay, so I've got a few more. Points. Give us another can one, we then we'll take a break. After? One more. Oh, well, this one takes a minute to explain. Then let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. How about that? Yeah, save uh, me the time yeah. to do it right. Yeah, well, and we'll hurry back. More with Kim Giles as she walks us through the magic question for Christmas without comparison. She's already taught us. Tell me what uh, what life taught you this year. When we come back, we'll be talking about how to change the way you determine your value. That's huge. Huge. We'll be back. More with Kim Giles. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Some beautiful bell work by Jeff Simpson. Nobody can play the bells like Jeffrey. Hey, joining us is Kim Giles. Kim is uh, the head coach, the master facilitator. What do we call you? What's your title there at Clarity Point Coaching? Um, Founder, creator, yeah, coach, master coach, friend. She's uh, like she, she's on the show regularly, and she's today is going to walk us through how to create a Christmas without comparison. One question you say we should ask is, tell me what was your greatest learning this year? That's such a cool question. Yep. It'll change the conversations oh, yeah. at the party for sure. Then it's not about accumulation. It's a, I mean, unless it's about learning. I learned this. Yep. And the second one was to trust the journey. Yeah. That it's your perfect classroom and instead of resisting it. And, and then, then my, my value, third. Value. Talk value. Yeah. We got to change the way we determine our value because all of us right now subconsciously determine our value by our appearance, uh-huh. how we look. So if we gain weight. Yeah. We're getting gray hair, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. We're, we're Why did you say that when you looked at me? Our, I, I'm looking that at you weird. through the whole show. <laughs> okay, that was weird. Maybe I'm very sensitive. Okay, that. well, this is. I'm glad That's we're good. talking about this, Matt. Because Help me figure it, out how to get my from value. Your fear that you're not good enough. Yeah. So we'll work I'm on this. I'm too old. I'm done. I'm about to blow a hip. So the problem is, you're basing your value on your appearance, yeah. your performance, mm-hmm. your property, mm. what you have, and and usually kind of the opinions of other people and right. whether they like you. So so we really see our value is going up and down all the time based on those four things. And if this year you haven't performed well, you gained some weight, your your value is down and you're going to feel terrible. And really the number one cause of most of our pain is this fear that we might not be good enough. Uh-huh. And it's literally coming from the fact that we believe our value as a human being can go up and down and can change. And because of that, we subconsciously believe some human beings are better yeah. or have more value than other human beings. Right. They've got a bigger house. And as long as you believe that, you are always going to find people who have something more than you and you will never measure up. You will always mm. feel like you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So the real cure to this whole problem is you've got to change the way you determine the value of a human soul. Yeah. And I recommend you base it on uniqueness. You are a one-of-a-kind, irreplaceable human being. You are the only you there will ever be. And anything on this planet that's the only one is priceless. Mm. And then number two, your nature, what you're made of. You are literally a child of God. You are made of God material. What could be more valuable than God 
in this universe. And so also notice your nature and your uniqueness are two things that never change. They don't go away. They don't go up. They don't go down. Yeah, but what if you really blow it? What if you really do something stupid? You're saying our nature hasn't changed. Yes, and our your uniqueness, uniqueness hasn't, changed. hasn't changed. And all this was, this big mistake you made, was an interesting lesson. To learn. That was here to teach you mm-hmm. something, but it did not change your value at all. That's right. And, and folks, we can start teaching our kids young that no matter what they do, their value is the same as everybody else's all the time, no matter what. So mm-hmm. when they win the game, pat them on the back. That's great. great. But remember, that doesn't make you better than the kids on the other team. Yeah. And when you lose the game, hey, it was a hard loss, but at least it didn't affect your I value. I love you anyway. That's right. Right? And, and the more that we see everybody, not just you, but you've got to see those people that you used to judge. Yeah. And remind yourself they have the same value as you. And those people you used to covet, jealous, you know, be mm-hmm. jealous of, they have the same value as you. You got to make this a principle of truth across the That's board huge. that we all have the same value. And Matt, I've been teaching this for 15 years. And, and everyone, when they first learn it, is like, wow, that sounds really powerful, but I don't believe it yet. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes some work yeah. of applying it across the board to everybody and talking about it every day. And I promise you, the more you do that, your fear that you're not good enough will slowly start to just dissipate mm. because you've changed the underlying principle yeah, yeah. upon which all human value is based. And then, and then I guess there's no longer a need. If we're all valuable, there's no longer a need to make comparisons. It's pointless. I mean, it, it is pointless. It's it really pointless. is. It's just – it's differentiating kernels of corn, you know? It's like whatever. Yeah. I, I used to put a, a strawberry, a raspberry, a grape, an orange, a banana, you know, all these different fruits on the counter and ask the kids to pick which is the best. Yeah, which is the most valuable. Which has more value than the other. Yeah. It, they're just different, which kind of leads me into my fourth point, yeah. which remember why we're different because the, the truth is – God is a God of order, and he's created this universe with all these people. Everybody looks different. We have different races, different religions, sexual orientation, um, you know, different preferences. Mm -hmm. All of us are so vastly different, and there's a reason. The differences make us stretch our ability to love each other. Hmm. Yeah. Right? It's really easy to love people who are just like you. Right, exactly. So when we have to work with people who are really different and we don't even understand them mm-hmm. and their culture or what, why they do things the way they do, it, it makes us stretch in our ability to love. And, th- and that's an important reason we're yeah. here. But, but have you noticed we all have a tendency to kind of think everybody should be the way we are? Oh, yeah. Well, the right way. Yeah, the right way. <laughs> right? Just like us. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. But see, it's the uniqueness. What's wrong with them? That They're not like That's me. That's right. The, but their difference is what makes them unique. Unique is what makes them special. Absolutely. And it's also the, the differences are what make the test. This is the test is ma- me managing my differences and, and with what I would say is the world norm, me managing other people's differences with my difference and trying to find the love there still. Right. And love them anyway. Really? It's huge. It's, it's huge. Have you, have you ever heard of the Persian flaw? No. So if you ever go to a really expensive rug store, an authentic Persian rug, most expensive carpets on the planet. Yeah. And every one of them has a very noticeable flaw on the front where the whole pattern is slightly off. 
Now, the reason wow. is that a machine-made rug, machines just pump out perfect rugs every time. But a Persian rug is a handmade artwork. Yeah. And the weavers will, will make do the same patterns, but they'll put the flaw in a different place, making each one unique. unique. And so here we have this flaw that you oh, would see cool. as a, a bad thing, but it's actually what gives that rug that the value. value. So, guys, our, our weaknesses, our flaws, our mistakes – we get to choose how we're going to look at them. Yeah. And you decide if that takes away from your value as a person or if it makes you uniquely perfect who That's you're meant great. to be. Yeah. And it right? doesn't matter where the flaw is. It actually increases the value of the whole. It does. Because it, it creates the con- – that's the contrast is your own flaw is the contrast to your ideal. Right. And that's where you create the synergy. And everybody's got a flaw. Oh, yeah. Or, or a couple. Or a dozen. Yeah, a few, maybe. <laughs> Right. <laughs> they just have different ones yeah. in a different place than yours. That's huge. And wrap up the last one. Okay. My last one is remember that you get to choose how you're going to feel. Nobody can make you feel inferior. You choose it. That's right. And you've got to be really personally responsible for how you're spending this holiday party or this holiday season. If you're dwelling in shame and disappointment and fear, you're choosing it, folks. Yeah. It's you your baby. You have another option. You've got the power to choose your attitude. You just mm-hmm. got to claim it. And instead instead of choosing it, you could just choose, okay, what am I learning? And go back to all of your other points. What am I learning? How is my value really impacted by this? Why is life teaching me this now? Absolutely. And if you're struggling with this, I do have a worksheet on my website and under my resources, worksheets and downloads, that is a holiday mindset worksheet. And and basically, you read it a couple times every day, and it's going to help you get into a place of trust about your value and your journey where you can really show up with more love. Huge. Clarity Point Coaching. Go check out the website, Clarity Point Coaching. Go to resources, and then you can get down to handouts and resources, worksheets. Um, We appreciate you, Kim. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. You too, Matt. Hope you feel better. I will. I will. This is fun. So much to learn. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit the Good Brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Today is uh, it's a gift because our good friends from BYU Sports Nation, they're, they are in San Diego soaking in, basking in the sun, as they prepare for the big bowl game. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there, my friends? Hello, Spencer and Jerem. We're trying to connect with them in San Diego. As they prepare for the bowl game. Can you hear us, guys? Hmm, we will keep trying. They, uh, they've got to turn on what they probably don't remember. They've got to turn on the truck. Because they have this huge... Mega media truck that's just parked out there idling. Um, anyway, we'll keep trying to get them on. I was going to ask them about this crazy story that came out of The Guardian about a snake in a Christmas tree. Unbelievably scary. So if you're one that goes out and picks up a live Christmas tree, be very careful, okay? Tiger snakes are very good climbers, and apparently a Christmas tree – in Melbourne, uh, it was they, the person that bought the tree found one of these tiger snakes in the tree. A scary 
tiger snake. It's one of the uh, it's one of the more different ones, but we found them in all sorts of places. Goldsmith said tiger snakes are very good climbers, and the woman climbed the the. She brought the tree out. The snake had climbed up in the tree. She took it home, and the snake was wrapped in the tree. And she, they say that uh, she did the right thing, just taking a picture and then getting out of there. So what would you do if you had a snake in your Christmas tree? Um, I Let's just start with I would freak out. I would probably, you know. Call my neighbor, Gene Call, who can do anything. I'd let him know, Gene, I have a snake in my tree. And when he was done laughing at me, he'd come over and I'm sure he'd take care of it. So that's what you need a good neighbor for. Like a good neighbor, Snake Farm is there. Have you heard that that last? They're one of our they're one of our uh, Snake Farm. Snake Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever found in your Christmas tree? Or under your Christmas tree? Hmm. Um, presents that I didn't buy. Actually, presents my kids give me. Because the presents my kids give me are some of the craziest presents I get. They're the ones that I really didn't even know I was going to get. So that's probably weird. But I've never found a live animal. Well, I didn't find it. Uh, My wife found my two-year-old under our tree unwrapping all the gifts. Really? Yeah. This was last week. Smart. She's a smart little girl. Did you ever, as a child, let's come clean, did you ever unwrap gifts? Did you ever find – like my mom was horrible at hiding things. I, I never unwrapped the gifts once they were under the tree. But I did find several gifts before they had been wrapped. Yeah, I found a lot of those. There was a board game underneath my parents' bed, and uh, my dad was not very happy that I found it. Really? And then another time I went out to the garage, and uh, there was a bicycle with a tablecloth draped over it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they got to try harder. I mean, I'm going to go in the garage, right? Yeah. I mean, a kid's got to go get in the car. You got to get out, you know, take the garbage cans out. Stuff's going to happen. Um, I once found, and it was the it was probably the worst Christmas experience of my life because um, I wanted a drum set because I, you know, I'm a very musical person. And I thought a drum set might be the key. So I was snooping through my mom's closet while she was at work. Mm-hmm. Who hasn't? I, who hasn't done that? And I found... A drum – some drumsticks and a drum book, like a a lesson book. Like you drum on the book. Uh Yeah. And then I found this thing that looked like a a seat because it it would spin on some kind of a stand. Mm -hmm. And it was just a round disc with like a leather top. And I'm like, oh, my heavens. That's the seat for the drum set, like for my seat for the – Right. Anyway, so I knew I was getting drums. I was so excited. Like, how cool was it going to be to just play drums all day? And I woke up Christmas morning thinking I'd go out there with this big drum set set up, and Santa didn't bring that. Because you saw it ahead of time, so it disappeared. No, 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 no. It was because my mom wasn't sure if I would really stick to playing the drums. Hmm. So what she told Santa is just give him a drum set, a drum practice pad, 
and a book and some sticks for whatever it would cost, $20. And if I practice a lot, then she'd buy me multiple hundreds of dollars of a drum set. Okay. And? And he did it. And, and you did it? He, no, no. But you didn't? Never you didn't, did it. Okay. No, but I lost all my energy to ever play the drums because, you know, I didn't get it that day. You were deflated. Mm-hmm. So Santa wasn't giving me what my heart wanted. He was just giving me what my mom's pocketbook wanted, which was mm. a practice pad. But I did get really good, not to brag, at doing a drum roll. Drum rolls are really hard to do. Can we hear some? Well, if I had my pad and my sticks, yeah. (sighs) Anyway, so just a little shout out. Make sure you don't ruin your kid's, you know, mojo to play the instruments. And vice versa. Kids, don't ruin things for the parents. Yeah. Because it is really about the parents. Yeah. Or is it? Hey, as you know, we always like to end with a hero story. So what better hero could there be than teens that band together to buy classmates some new shoes? Listen to this. The Christmas will be one that J.R. Gilbert will never forget. This is out of NBCNews.com. The San Antonio teens' classmates banded together this week to buy Gilbert, a special needs student who had hydroencephaly and ADHD, two pair of Nike sneakers after realizing the shoes he was wearing uh, were two and a half sizes too small. I didn't find out until late last night, Gilbert's mother said, Linda. She said Saturday, um, it was the sweetest thing. This is one of those instances where he was able to see that he has a lot of friends. Salvador Salas, one of Gilbert's classmates at Somerset High School, decided to spearhead the fundraising effort after the two had a discussion in math class. He was telling me that his shoes didn't fit him. And if I knew someone who wore size 13, I didn't, Salas said. It bothered me that one of my friends didn't have the appropriate things he needed to be comfortable. I wanted to do something. So the 17-year-old junior, along with his two buddies, Roger Vijegas and uh, Martin Ramos, began asking their friends to contribute money so they could purchase new shoes for Gilbert. Approximately 20 students donated a total of $180. And on Friday, the last day before Christmas recess, a group of Gilbert's classmates presented him with the shoes. What? You got my favorite kind, too, said Gilbert, Gilbert Beaming. How cool is this, guys? High school kids taking care of another kid. That is called Hero of the Day right there. All you need to do to be a hero is notice somebody in need and then do what you can do to make sure you take care of the need. It doesn't need to be shoes always. Sometimes it could just be what you can do. So special shout out to those kids. You are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And for all of us, let's be looking for people to serve this holiday season. Let's bring them the light, right? They may not have light in their life, but you can bring it and and deliver it, hand deliver it. That's the show, my friends. Hopefully uh, we can continue to keep the spirit alive. We will be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Until then, make it a great one. and Let's take care of each other. We'll talk tomorrow.